Good evening. Let's call to order the council meeting of January 30th, 2024 at 7 p.m. Uh, council Member Dean, I think you have a comment. Thank you. I am participating remotely in tonight's council meeting under the just cause provisions of the Ralph M. Brown Act included in California Government Code Section 54953J2 because I am experiencing a contagious illness that prevents me from participating in person. Okay, thank you. Uh, the city strongly denounces hate speech and does not tolerate disruptive behavior in our meetings. Sunnyvale prides itself on the rich diversity of our residents. We are committed to creating a culture of belonging where members of our diverse community feel included, safe, and respected. The city council meeting is considered a limited public forum, which means the council can regulate the time, place, and manner of speech to prevent our meetings from being disrupted. This protects the rights of speakers and ensures that council can accomplish its business in a reasonably efficient manner. Speaker comments must be limited to agenda items being considered by the council for consent calendar or public hearing items. Speaker comments during oral communications must be limited to matters within the council, city council's authority to address, generally referred to as within the council's subject matter jurisdiction. The presiding officer may determine at it would be impractical to include remote comment during oral communications for the purpose of timeliness of the meetings or conducting an orderly meeting. Such a determination should be made prior to opening the public comment and oral communications. The presiding officer will make determination as to whether a speaker's comments are related to an agenda item being considered by the council or to a matter within the subject matter jurisdiction of council during oral communications. If a speaker does not comply, the presiding officer will rule the speaker out of order. The presiding officer will not rule a speech out of order because the presiding officer dis disagrees with the content of the speaker's speech. Before we get started, I'd like to remind participants of some procedure items for the, this meeting. During the meeting, remote participants will remain muted when not speaking. If remote participants have a question or a comment, please use the raised hand feature. Speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time. A random order voice vote will be administered by the city clerk for each vote. Members of the public may participate in person, online, or by telephone to provide public comment. Please submit a speaker card to the city clerk in person or use the raised hand feature online to request to speak, star nine on your telephone. Location and online meeting details are available on the council agenda. Captions are available to viewers accessing this meeting via Zoom. Captions can be displayed using the show captions button. Comments on matters not on the agenda or related to presentation agenda items must be submitted prior to the time I call the item for oral communications. Comments on agenda items must be submitted prior to the time I close the public hearing on that agenda item. Speakers are requested to keep their comments to no more than three minutes and time limits will be strictly enforced. Guidelines are posted on the city's website and on the council meeting agenda. First, please join me in a salute to the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Next is roll call. City Clerk, may we please have roll call. Mayor Klein. Present. Vice Mayor Srinivasan. Present. Councilmember Melton. Present. Councilmember Cisneros. Present. Councilmember Dean. Present. Councilmember Mellinger. Present. Councilmember Sell. Present. Seven present with Councilmember Dean participating via teleconference. Thank you. Um, now is oral communications. 
Um, members of the public will now have an opportunity to address council on topics not listed on tonight's agenda. This section is limited to 15 minutes and may be extended or continued after the general business section. Individu individuals are limited to one appearance with a maximum up to three minutes per speaker. A reminder to the public, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk, raise your digital hand now or dial star nine on your telephone. If you wish to address council, I will call members of the public participating in person first and then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's their turn to address council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. As stated at the beginning of the meeting, the count, this council meeting is considered a limited public forum and the council can regulate the time, place, and manner of speech. Speaker comments during oral communications must be limited to matters within the city council's authority to address, generally referred to as within the council's subject matter jurisdiction. If a speaker does not speak to a matter within the council's subject matter jurisdiction, the presiding officer will rule the speaker out of order uh, to allow the city council to conduct business in a reasonably efficient manner and to perfect and protect the rights of speakers. The presiding officer will not rule the speaker out of order because the presiding dis officer disagrees with the content of a speaker's speech. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have one speaker, Eric Kroc. And we'll pull the, your slides up now, Eric. Perfect. Okay, thank you very much. Um, so, you know, once again, I wanted to talk a little bit more about our vision for the potential future of the PGE rights away plots that we're proposing under a current study issue be evaluated for transformation to a park. Next slide, please. So you know, these three plots together are the largest open space remaining in Cherry Chase neighborhood. Next slide. And um, we need to create more natural open spaces, not necessarily just manicure, manicured green lawn parks, which are great, um, all in favor of those, but also some complementary natural open space where children can play in a more natural environment. There's lots of evidence from published peer-reviewed scientific studies that children benefit from playing in nature and it actually reduces their risk of mental health conditions as teenagers and even in adulthood. Next slide. Um, yeah, we, we can go in the next slide. So uh, we also need to adapt to climate change and um, these plots could be used to try out the idea of Miyawaki pocket forests, which are densely planted vegetation using native uh, fauna that uh, can be weaned from uh, weaned from artificial watering in as little as 18 to 36 months after planting and sequestering part uh, um, uh, carbon all the way. So we'd like a park that is open to all, that um, is not too uh, costly to create, right? I can tell you from decades of observing that plot next to my home that children love playing in it just as it is. They find their way in there and you don't need to invest in that plot at all. The children will love it if you open it up for their um, authorized use, or even if not. Um, next slide. Um, so what I would propose is that we pursue a course I call the minimum viable park, uh, in analogy to the minimum viable product often used in software development. 
figure out what's the least work we need to do to safely open this up for families and children and other city residents to uh, uh, enjoy the park just as the, the land just as it is, and then we can improve it over time. Next slide. So longer term, we could connect the three plots together. Um, the PG&E has said they're willing to let us transform the Donna Avenue plot on the left and the Ramona Avenue plot on the right into parkland, and they could be connected along the uh, city-owned strips through the middle Lois Avenue plot. Next slide. And then once the park is open and children and families are enjoying it just as it is, we can talk about how we can make it better going forward. We can get grants uh, for uh, urban reforestation and things like that. Next slide. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and skip forward. So uh, grants are available from Valley Water and Cal Fire. Next slide. So I encourage anyone interested to visit these URLs and check out our plans. Thank you. Thank you. That was my last speaker card in person. City Clerk, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak on this matter? On oral communication, sorry. Yes, Mayor, we have uh, several speakers. Um, we're having a timer malfunction, so we will be displayed on the screen uh, hopefully very soon. Uh, first up, we have Kim C, followed by uh, Wee Fei. Kim C, you've been unmuted and you have three minutes to address the City Council. So sorry, can I go to the next speaker and I will be after? I'm, I'm having an internet problem. Sorry. Okay, we're going to go with uh, Wei Fei and then we'll go back to Kim C. Wei Fei, you've been unmuted and you have three minutes to address the city council. Wei Fei, you appear unmuted or unable to hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry for the audio issues. Uh, thank you very much for uh, City Council for allowing me to speak and comment. Uh, I just want to voice my uh, strong support uh, to Eric's uh, proposal to study issue of uh, converting to the uh, PG&E right-of-way plots uh, to uh, potentially mini parks and uh, or even uh, or study the uh, possibility of uh, even more long-term developments. Um, I, I, uh, I'm the resident in uh, 755 Lois Avenue, which uh, my home is right next to the uh, plot that has the PG&E pylon. Um, I have been living here for uh, about uh, five, five and six years now. Um, all for, for all the durations I'm here, I have been very puzzled uh, looking at uh, all these uh, patch of uh, plots uh, in, across the, the three streets uh, that is totally deserted. Uh, there's a large space that's being wasted that could be very useful for kids, uh, for, for families uh, to hang around, to have an open space or natural environment so to enjoy themselves. Uh, whereas on the other side, we have the green, uh, Greenwood Park, which is minuscule, very, very small compared to the patch of lands here. Um, and. Uh, uh, the uh, study plan that proposed by Eric is really sound, and uh, from several perspectives, uh, first of all, uh, in the in the short term, we can probably figure out a very uh, very low cost, um, mi minimum um, viable solution uh, to actually convert this land to be to be useful, even if we don't do anything 
about the land that start immediately having the uh, pylons on it, uh, but the other two should be very easy uh, as a uh, to, to be converted as a useful land for uh, for residents around here. And there's also potential um, uh, the long-term potential to actually convert these lands into much nicer places. And um, as a residence close by uh, to to these uh, to these to these open spaces, uh, I'm very much uh, very welcome uh, such studies and. Uh, and I would actually volunteer whatever we, we can to help this, uh, the studies uh, if, uh, if our help is, is ever needed. Um, yeah, I just want to express my support, strong support uh, to such a proposal. Hopefully uh, the, the city will, will, will consider that. Thank you. Next up is Kim C. Kim, you've been unmuted and you have three minutes to address the city council, followed by Al S. Thank you very much and apologies for my uh, internet problem. Yes, um, my name is Kim Chi Tyler Chen. I'm a, one of the co-founders of the Cherry Chase Neighborhood Association, a huge advocate and in-person um, interaction, getting to know each other and um, why this is rele relevant is that I, uh, I love this idea of having parks so that people can gather um, together and converse and you know, share stories about among each other. And obviously, when we get to know each other in person, we, uh, we have more emotional investment in um, protecting our community. Um, that is the long-term goal. But in terms of um, the parks that is proposed by El Clock, I am hoping that um, you would consider, uh, uh, you know, basically, <clears throat> um, you know, basically, um, can you still hear me? I'm sorry. You paused for a second, but we can hear you now. Oh, okay, good. Um, I urge you or your consideration and endorsement of the proposed study title and uh, exp exploring the feasibility and transforming the PG&E lots uh, along Ramona, Lois Avenue, and Donna Avenue. I'm a 15-year resident of the um, on Donna Avenue. So here are some points that I would hope that the council would listen to or take notes. Um, so the PG&E lots under scrutiny have been remained neglected for decades. It is an eyesore, um, uh, tarnishing the allure of our otherwise splendid neighborhood, which is called Cherry Chase Community, which we're two blocks away from the Cherry Chase um, um, Elementary School. Now with the PG&E presenting the Sunnyvale with a unique opportunity we have a chance to rejuvenate this space, potentially expanding public green areas without the need of land acquisition. This is an opportunity that we cannot afford to overlook. Um, um, additionally, these lots could emerge as pioneers in Sunnyvale's ongoing environmental endeavors, and the proposed study aims to investigate leveraging those spaces. Um, and I will give you a quote, an experimental grounds for adapting ex, uh, existing and future Sunnyvale parks to mitigate climate change effects, implementing water efficient drought resisting methodologies such as neo 
Miyawaki Pocket Forest for indigenous flora could serve to combat the urban heat island phenomenon and cool the locality. The study will delve into the initial watering requirements, the means of irrigation, and the feasibility of transitioning the... Thank, thank you very much. Next up is Al S. Al, you've been unmuted and you have three minutes to address the city council. Thank you. Uh, so as uh, other residents in the area have uh, mentioned, I, um, my name is Alberto Suzanne. I work at, I, I live at Meloncourt. So it's uh, one block away from um, this area. I also highly recommend, you know, uh, taking the chance uh, that PGNE is finally willing to let Sunnyvale convert some of those lots to parkland. I've been here for 26 years um, living in, uh, in Cherry Chase and uh, as others mentioned, I was always puzzled by why such a huge lot is wasted uh, and not being used by the city and, and the residents in the area. Uh, we, in the Cherry Chase specifically, we do not have any major park. Uh, we have a very little you know, uh, park that, that you can see on some of Eric's slides. Um, on top of that, um, you know, that area, because it's not being used and there's just a, a, a huge fence around it, it has been used many times. I've seen par, uh, cars parked over there in the middle of, uh, you know, of those plots where there's no residents, as you can imagine, and people drinking and sometimes smoking. Um, so it's, you know, it's a pity that we are not utilizing that area. Uh, to uh, Eric's point, I think there's ways of uh, utilizing that area without that much cost to the city, right? Uh, opening up the area is the first start. Um, I, I like visible gardens myself. I would be willing to really collaborate with other residents and maybe thinking about and planning about a community garden, vegetable garden as, as uh, the one that is close to the city uh, hall. Uh, as you can see, uh, as you know, it's very utilized by, by multiple residents in Sunnyvale. We could do designate some of the, the land there for that type of usage, teaching the kids, you know, where their food comes from. Um, I also would like to mention something that the others didn't about the there is a high density, uh, you know, uh, residency plan around Grape and El Camino. Specifically speaking, I'm not very fond of that, uh, with seven-story seven buildings closed by. Having said that, if it goes forward, those residents would need uh, and benefit from a walking distance park. So maybe some of those developers could pitch in and help pay for, you know, building that park. Thank you. Thank you. And Mayor, that was the final remote public speaker for oral communications. Thank you, City Clerk. We will close oral communications. Uh, next up is our consent calendar. I'll open up public comment on our consent calendar items. Members of the public wishing to address council, please submit a speaker card to the City Clerk. Raise your digital hand now or dial star nine on your telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call on members of the public participating in person first, and then the City Clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's their turn to address council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have no speaker cards on a consent calendar item. City Clerk, are there any remote participants wishing to speak on a consent, yeah, consent calendar item? 
Uh, Mayor, we do have an individual who raised their hand, Rebecca H. Uh, we'll unmute you and you can let us know which consent calendar item you wish to speak on. Hello? Yes. Yeah, I, yes, uh, I would like to go back to the, um, for the stu uh, support for the study of the PCNE uh, right away uh, the part for Romana, Tarana, and Lois, if it's possible. Sorry, we're, we're moving forward at this point. You're always willing to email council at council right, at sunnyvale.ca.gov and uh, we'll be ranking these study issues on the meeting of the February, um, February 15th. So you have a few weeks to advocate uh, and come back to another meeting. <coughs> Mayor, that was the only individual with their hand raised at this time. Thank you. I will bring it back to, uh, I'll, cl I'll close uh, I'll communicate, um, public comment and bring it back to council for a motion. Um, Vice Mayor Srinivasan. I move to approve the consent calendar. Hope Th nobody pulls 1B. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Council Member Mellinger. Second. Thank you. City Clerk, can we please have a roll call vote? First up, Vice Mayor Srinivasan, how do you vote? Yes. Councilmember Sell? Yes. Mayor Klein? Yes. Councilmember Dean? Yes. Councilmember Mellinger? Yes. Councilmember Cisneros? Yes. Councilmember Melton? Uh, yes, with an enthusiastic yes on 1B. Thank you. <laughs> the motion carries 7-0. Thank you, let's move to general business. As stated at the beginning of the meeting, this council meeting is considered a limited public forum and the council can regulate the time, place, and manner of speech. Speaker comments during public hearing items are limited to an agenda item being considered by council. If a speaker does not comply, the presiding officer will rule the speaker out of order to allow city council to conduct his, its business in a reasonably efficient manner and to protect the rights of other speakers. Presiding officer will not rule speech out of order because the presiding officer disagrees with the content of the speaker's speech. Um, our first item is item 24-0272, discuss and provide direction regarding process, scope of review, and timeline for potential amendments to the city charter. Is there a staff report? Yes, good evening, Mayor and Council. Sarah Johnson-Rios, Assistant City Manager. And this item regarding potential charter amendments is before you tonight at council's request in response to a colleague's memo that was brought forward in November, 2023. And just really quick, and can we get the presentation? We're just waiting for the slides. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, city clerk. Thank you. And a colleague's memo proposed a charter review committee which could review nine potential charter amendments and potentially propose additional amendments. The memo referenced the 2007 effort to comprehensively review the city charter and uh, the nine potential amendments in the colleagues memo are listed here for reference. They continue on this next slide and we can certainly return to these during council's discussion if needed. So in preparation uh, for council's decision-making tonight, staff compiled information on the city's four most recent charter amendment efforts uh, that involved charter review committees or a citizen's advisory committee in the case of districting. So uh, one of the takeaways here is that each of these efforts took approximately 12 to 18 months from inception to election. 
Um, the committees were um, typically appointed after an open application process. The committees met several times, and they reviewed a number uh, of different potential charter amendments ranging from one to 10. I do also wanna note that an, as an attachment to your staff report, the clerk's office compiled a much broader history of charter amendments, uh, which may be a helpful reference for council as um, you can see the history of some of the items that have been reviewed um, over the years um, that have relevance to the items in the colleagues memo. So, um, Charter review committees provide a very effective means of soliciting comprehensive public input for council's consideration of placing potential charter amendments on a ballot. Um, it's important to note that these efforts, it, when done effectively, do take significant time and, and resources um, to conduct. And so taking a step back, um, providing uh, council with uh, various options, all the legal options before you, a charter review committee is one way to approach charter amendments, but not the only way. Council may also form a subcommittee to review potential charter amendments, or council may direct staff to conduct any analysis desired and return with proposed ballot language for council consideration. Uh, voters may also um, petition charter amendments with 15% of registered voters um, petitioning. And um, all of these, all of the uh, methods circled in blue have been used in Sunnyvale in the past. We thought it would be important to provide council with potential fiscal impacts of this effort, and those will range depending on the scope of the effort that council directs um, this evening. But we did get an estimate uh, from the county registrar voters of approximate cost of $118,000 for each ballot measure. And your adopted budget does include funding for up to two measures. So those could be charter review amendments, those could be revenue measures, we've got funding in place for two, and anything above that would require council, um, council authorization for a budget amendment. Other potential costs that are not included in the adopted budget for the election uh, would include potential outside legal counsel for this effort, depending again on the scope potential public information costs to and, and educate um, voters on what may be placed on the ballot. And then depending on uh, the items that council would like to pursue, there is one item, the ranked choice voting item, that would have additional costs, um, some of which are known uh, and some of which are unknown because this would be a new system for the county to implement. So in reviewing what's legally permissible and reviewing the city's recent experiences with charter review amendments of this type, staff has outlined four options uh, for council to consider in addressing potential charter amendments um, depending on the scope that council would like to pursue. So the first item on the slide is outlined in more detail in your report. Uh, in short, if council would like to pursue a broadly scoped or comprehensive review of the charter similar to the effort that was referenced in 2007 using an appointed charter review committee, staff would recommend doing so for a future election based on past experience of the time that's required to conduct that type of an in-depth process effectively. Um, targeting a future election for that type of a broad effort would allow adequate time to impanel a committee review some or all of the nine items in the colleagues memo and open the scope of review for committee-driven uh, charter amendments. Alternatively, if it's a high priority for council to seek input from a charter review committee for 2024, 
limiting the scope to one or two high priority items and considering an abbreviated appointment process and potentially a smaller size committee may make such an effort more, more feasible in time for a council decision in June or July. This year's deadline to place items on the ballot uh, is August 9th. So um, these two options would um, be a heavier lift in terms of staff and financial resources and we just wanted to, um, to make that uh, part of the council's um, consideration this evening. Um, alternatively, council could direct staff to prepare charter amendments for consideration to place directly on the November 24 uh, ballot Council could also appoint a subcommittee to work on certain items and return to the full council for direction. This may be of interest, for example, for items um, that might be considered best practices, that might be considered more administrative in nature. Uh, and finally, council could direct staff to evaluate policy changes that may be, be able to be implemented without a charter amendment. One of the items uh, in the colleague's memo spoke to um, the role of district council members, for example. Council could choose to address that through a charter amendment or could choose to incorporate that in council policy. Um, and I think it's important to note that this does not have to be a one-size-fits-all exercise. So we've tried to provide a variety of recommendations this evening, um, recognizing that some of the items in the colleague's memo might be well-suited to be handled by council direction for the 2024 election and other more complex items might be better suited for consideration after a more robust public engagement process can be conducted. So with that, uh, we do have a three-part recommendation this evening and I'll take a moment to describe it because it might be a little atypical. The first part of that um, would be to direct staff to return with an analysis of any items from the colleague's memo that may be able to be implemented without a charter amendment. The second part of the recommendation is to direct staff to return, um, excuse me, um, to direct staff to um, return with options to pursue council-directed charter amendments for 2024, and council could choose to do that through a subcommittee, um, or council could choose to do that with the full body of the council providing direction tonight or at a future meeting. And then the third part would be to direct staff to return to council in early 2025, um, or another time as stipulated by council, for a more thorough charter review process similar to the one undertaken in, 2020, in 2007. And that would allow for um, opportunities for more public participation prior to a future election. And uh, before closing, I will say that it would be most helpful in council's discussion tonight, depending on the direction that you take with your recommendations, if you could let staff know which mix of uh, items from the colleagues' memo would fall into which portion of your recommendation. Um, and so as much information as you can provide us about process and scope would be greatly appreciated. And with that, we're available for any questions. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, first up is Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mayor Klein. And first, I'd like to begin by thanking my colleagues, Mayor Klein and Councilmember Cisneros for co-authoring this colleagues memo with me. Um, so, Unfortunately, this was one of the items that was delayed by some of the issues that we had during November of last year. Um, and so we had hoped that, or at least I had hoped, I will not use the royal we here, that we might be able to have a timeline to have a general charter review commission, a committee, 
by the 2024 election, and it seems very clear that that's not in the cards. Um, and I am personally, I'm going to signal that I don't think I'm interested in appointing a limited charter review committee for 2024 either. Um, I'm leaning towards, you know, attempting to do the general charter review committee with a target for their uh, amendments to go on the ballot in 2026. Now, I did have a couple of questions. The first is on timeline. And so the staff recommendation says that, you know, if we want to target the 2026 election, uh, direct staff to return to council in early 2025. Um, thinking of that 18-month timeline and thinking of when the ballot deadline is, which is pr typically July, I believe, um, January of 2025 to July of 2026 is about 18 months, and that feels a little tight. Um, would, there, would it be possible to say, you know, we're going to open the application process this September and have the committee seated by October, November, so that they have a little more padding, a little more space? I think we could do that, Council's direction. Great. Not seeing any uh, heartburn from the city manager on that idea. All right. Wonderful. Um, the second thing is I, I sort of, I, of the nine that we proposed, I think there are four that qualify as the sort of thing that could make sense to be done with just with council direction without a sort of, without a committee review. And I want to just roll, uh, reel off those four real quick. And I think these could actually be bundled into two charter measures because three of them are pretty minor cleanup items, I think. Um, so I'm going to do the, the bundled one first, and that would be three items. The first would be to switch the requirement for being a register, uh, to remove the requirement for being a registered voters for all of the charter commissions except for the planning commission. Uh, occasionally planning commission deals with matters that touch on national security and so the registered voter requirement makes sense there, uh, to me at least. Um, switch the charter to use gender neutral language. That strikes me as a pretty simple find and replace. Um, and then the third would be to require 24 council meetings per year rather than two per month. Uh, does staff think that those three would be something that could just be done with council direction? We would have to look further at whether those could be legally merged as, as one um, measure. If they can't, we'll just have to do them separately, but... The question is, can we do them, whether it's one or more measures? Can yeah. We, can we take these on? Yes, we could take them on at council direction. Great. The fourth one that I wanted to raise, I think you all know that I served on the last Charter Review Commission in 2018 on uh, vacancy provisions. And we had a very robust decision as to whether an appointed council member should serve to the next election or the next general uh, November election. And by a five to four vote with me in the minority, it was decided that they would serve to the next election. Um, and part of the reasoning for that and part of the reason why those of us who were in the dissent did not file a minority report um, was because there was an assumption that combining an election uh, a council election with a primary election would be essentially free. It would not cost much money. Uh, when we had a council vacancy a few years, a couple years ago, however, 
Um, the estimate, the cost estimate for doing that was close to $230,000, which was substantial. And that can also lead to the sort of situation which Mayor Klein understands on a deep personal level, where someone has to run for election in the March or June primary and then run immediately for re-election in November. And so what I would like to suggest as the last one that might be put on the ballot solely by council direction is to change that so that it is own, an appointed council member serves to the next eligible November general election, not the next election. Does staff believe that that is something that could be put on the ballot solely by council direction? Yes. Good, great. Um, with that, I believe that does it for all of my questions. Um, and looking forward to a robust discussion with my colleagues. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember. Next up is Vice Mayor Srinivasan. Thank you, Mayor. <coughs> Thanks for a very good presentation. Um, I had the, I will preface this with my, uh, my opinion of Charter Review Committee and then also uh, I have some questions. I strongly believe that Charter Review Committee or any change for the Charter should be a democratic process, which means that robust input and community outreach from the public. That is, we have to have community outreach and then public input. We at the, from the council dais should not be discussing any of the major changes. Having said that, uh, I have some questions, and then let me go over the questions. So you mentioned that uh, limited scope charter amendment. Uh, I'm trying to, yeah, slide seven. Number two bullet items, limited scope. Who determines that? Is that after the staff recommendation, or uh, how does that work? That would be at council's direction. So the intent there is that given the limited time <coughs> before the August 9th deadline for the 2024 election, it would be more feasible to, for council to appoint a um, charter review committee with a limited scope. And so we would be seeking direction from council if you did want to go that direction on what the scope of their oh. review would be. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Because Samir, uh, the next slide, uh, there was an item which said that staff could recommend, but I, I thought I misunderstood that. But thank you very much. So even with that limited scope, uh, Charter Review Committee, we still need to do community outreach or, right? That, that's what uh, staff recommends, right? Right, so staff's presented various options. The recommendation or the set of recommendations that staff has put forward would be that if council directed a Charter Review Committee, that we look to a future election to ensure that we can get robust public input um, but council could direct otherwise this evening, if you'd like. Thank you. Uh, so I also agree with uh, uh, council member Mellinger. Uh, there are some changes which seem to be straightforward, but uh, I will wait for 
public's input and then my council uh, my colleagues comment thank you very much thank you vice mayor uh, next up is councilmember cisneros yes thank you um, very interesting and this is quite complex because we're making a number a layered decision here which you know definitely affects a lot of your time there um, so I'm really excited to go through this. I do have some questions. Um, can you walk me through the timeline for the Charter Review Commission? Like what does that look like? Okay, we open up applications in September. What do you all need to do before that happens? And then throughout the process, how many meetings are we envisioning? Are we envisioning it close to what we did last time as a more general one? I wanna get a sense of what those steps are as I'm thinking about how much to go ahead and put on that commission because I know that that also would impact the, the time scope because we have we've had individual ones but I'm, I'm really trying to strike that balance thank you for the question councilmember Cisneros it is interesting because the more recent examples uh, where the city has has appointed charter review committees have had a more limited scope where council has directed them to look at one or two items the most recent comprehensive review uh, was in 2007. So that was in a, a, a pre-remote uh, meeting time frame and a different context. So I think staff's approach would be um, to open up, we, we would be doing this at council's direction and so you could specify the process, but a, a, an approach that's been used recently would be to open um, applications for for plus weeks, um, bring that back to council for um, interviews and appointments, and then begin to convene the committee. Um, the broader the committee's scope, the more meetings we would anticipate. And in past experience, committees have asked for research or analysis, um, often done work themselves outside of meetings, and then ultimately they would um, bring a report to council with their recommendations. So that would be the general process. Um, I think the timeline would be in that 12 to 18 month range, and uh, the details there would probably be determined by the scope of, of their review and how much work was before them. Okay. And so when we convene them, do we set that limited number of meetings or that time frame, or is that like they can say, you know what, we're not done, we're gonna need more meetings? We wouldn't be looking to council for that level of, of detail. We would be looking to council for what scope you wanted them to review, um, which items in the charter you wanted them to review, for example, and if you wanted committee members to also be able to suggest items for council's consideration to place on the ballot for charter amendments. Okay, and so building off of that, there are kind of the way I'm understanding it right now is there are three categories of potential charter amendments. There are things that council could, you know, potentially uh, resolve with an ordinance, which wouldn't require a ballot, uh, anything to go on the ballot or any kind of commission. And then there are uh, things that council can just direct, we're gonna put this on the ballot as a charter review. And then there are the things that the charter review commission would handle. And so I guess my question is, what is the breakdown of at least the nine suggested? Because if we open it up to whatever people want that, we don't know that that's, we know these nine at least are in front of us. 
what is the breakdown? Are there limitations? Like, no, you can't do that by ordinance or you can't do that by, uh, you know, council can't just put it there. I, I want to see the realm of the possible as I think about the appropriateness of, of where to place each. Certainly, and I think that is the, the primary question uh, before council tonight. Legally, you could direct any of those items to be placed on the ballot and voters ultimately would decide if that charter amendment um, gets enacted or not. Um, alternatively, you could um, determine that you would like input from a charter review committee prior to placing anything on a ballot. Um, and so any of those nine items could fall into either of those process categories. We think there's at least one item of the nine that um, wouldn't necessarily need to be in the charter, but it okay. could be in the charter if that's council's wish. Okay, so right now, in just strictly legal basis, normative judgment out the window or like held to the side for a moment. There's one of these items where it, I believe is the language cleanup that we could do by ordinance and, and fix and the rest of them would need to either would go to a ballot um, through some process. We think it's uh, the item there's an item related to the role of council members oh, that's that could be addressed by charter or could be um, clarified it further in council policy. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I, I got a little there are a number of things here. Okay, that's very helpful for me to understand if there are guardrails and if not, it seems like it's very open to our uh, preferences here, which is, I look forward to hearing more about it. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. So with the ones that we would take direct staff to go analyze ahead of time, I presume that those would probably be the ones that we would are thinking of putting on the ballot just independently. Uh, without going through the commission now that I understand like this the, the boxing process of all of that um, would we would it be okay if we put, would it be possible for council to prioritize like we would like to get the analysis on this one you know front load this one these can be done as you go along is that something that would be helpful or something that staff would get um, would actually hinder the process on the staff level as you're working through thank you um, council member I I think given the timeline um, that we have before us uh, between now and the August 9th ballot date, it would be helpful to understand the universe of items that council's interested in um, evaluating for the 2024 election. If there are items that could be considered for a, a future election, that would be uh, helpful to clarify and then staff would focus efforts on those more urgent items for the 2024 ballot. Okay. And if you know, we said if we were to say, you know, the, we were not interested or that was what council decided, it would all go in the 2026 or whatever election bucket. Could we prioritize with those or are you more thinking about prioritizing with just the 2024? We're hoping to come away from tonight with direction on if council would like to consider any charter amendments for 2024 oh. and if so, what those are. Um, if there are efforts that you would like to defer for a future election, I think council would have a bit more time to consider those um, and direct staff um, to come back in the future on those. Okay. All right. Well, that's very helpful. Thank you for just helping me understand just this process-wise because it is a little complicated. We're talking about a lot of definitions here. So help, help me get my brain around it. 
Now, uh, I just want to also thank the mayor and Councilmember Mellinger for uh, working with me on that colleagues memo and thinking through this process and working together to move this forward. And I do have to say, I am in concurrence with Councilmember Mellinger's you know, thoughts on what council could go ahead and put there. Probably needs less debate, whereas there are major uh, items. I'm thinking council compensation, role of the mayor, um, going through the list here. The filling vacancies piece, uh, that's one area I think we disagree a little bit where I would like that to be revisited as well by the commission, but honestly, I could go either way on it. But overall, that's all to say, there are some things I think we could go ahead and put on the 2024 ballot, potentially, to go ahead and clear that off of our plate and move it, move things forward and just clean this list up a bit, make it a little shorter for the initial commission to go ahead and consider. So then if they do intend on adding more things, which I am sure our residents have many ideas of how they would like to see this document be different, allowing them that extra breathing room without making the commission itself too, um, you know, the scope of it so big and letting it get really out of control. I wanna help control that and really be able to use their time wisely. But for the most part, a lot of these bigger items, I would like to see it on another ballot because I, as I, I agree with my, my colleagues, this is, a really important democratic process. This is a way that residents get involved. I know that there are a couple of people up here who were involved in uh, one of these uh, commissions before they got up here. So I think it's a really wonderful leadership opportunity for our residents to engage in the city process. So, and I look forward to seeing, giving them the full process and see what they notice that we should change. That's gonna be one of the most enriching parts of it and why in this uh, colleague's memo it specifically says proposing new items because we don't know everything, as it turns out. So that's where I'm at now. I look forward to, I'll have more details on that direction as I hear the conversation here and comments from the public. I, I wanna have that well-considered opinion before I go and start putting my stake in the ground too much. So I'll turn off my mic, but thank you very much. I look forward to hearing from everyone. Thank you, Council Member. And next up is Council Member Sell. Hi, thank you for preparing this and um, when we start out the year we have study issues and um, the staff tells us okay we have enough staff to do these many study issues so um, when we have staff do this does staff need to drop other stuff in order to like for these four identified or is that not much staff time or what is what, what is this in terms of staff workload? Do you have to drop other things to do this? And what are those things? Um, I'll, I'll take that question. Thank you, Councilmember Sell. I don't think we'd have to drop anything, um, but it will affect capacity for our 2024 study issues. And uh, once you select the ones that you want in 2024, we come back and say, what do we have capacity? This will use a certain amount of capacity, particularly in the city attorney's office and the city manager's office. And so, um, again, it depends on for the capacity for future study issues and other departments wouldn't be affected too much. Although, again, the two departments I mentioned work with every department every day. Um, so it will affect 2024 capacity. Okay. And then um, the fact that we picked four instead of three, does the number also impact the workload? 
Um, it could, but it's the complexity of the issue. Um, some of these would require a lot of research and have a lot of options, and they're very complex. I would put ranked choice voting in, as one of those that are very, very complex. And there's some that are that are pretty straightforward and and um, I'll say you know more simple. There may still be a lot of public input and debate, but in terms of the staff research and legal research that has to happen, um, complexity might be more important than the sheer number. Okay, and then of the four that council member Olinger, um selected. Um, are you able to tell us if those are complex or not complex? Or can you not tell us that until you research it more? I can refresh you on the floor if you need. That, that's okay. Thank you, Councilmember Sell, for the question. Um, and thank you, Councilmember Mellinger. I, I took notes. Um, you know, I, I think. If there's a spectrum of complexity, uh, more, more more to less complexity, those would likely fall on the lower end of the complexity spectrum. Um, each of the four would probably have a slightly different level of complexity, but um, to give you a general sense. Okay. So, um, in summary, each of them has a little different a complexity issue, but generally they fall into lower complexity. And then for them, um, they would still need some sort of charter review committee, but it could be an ad, no, they don't need any charter review committee. Uh, that would be at council's direction, but it is a permissible option and an option that, that Sunnyvale has used in the past to place things on the ballot at council's direction. And then of course, ultimately the voters would decide if that is a charter amendment that passes. Okay. and then. Who would determine the ballot language and who, how, how would it be reviewed? Would, uh, that would be determined by council direction? We would, bring, we would likely bring forward um, draft language for council review. That would be staff would bring it forward. And, okay. and then um, when we have done these kind of things before. Um, have we had other things on the ballot, such as we're thinking of possibly having a library bond and possibly a funding measure? Have, like, how has it, do you recall how it's yeah. worked in the past? Is adding these, does it, does, do you, um, have we done that before when we've had funding measures? Possibly, if we do, maybe we might have funding measures. I'm going to ask the city clerk to field that because he's done a lot of research leading up to this agenda item. So, so I can't tell you specifically how many competing items there were on different ballots, but there were several times looking back at the history of charter measures where there were multiple items on the ballot that were not related to the charter. Okay. Um, my last question is we need to educate the voters um, before they vote on this. So is that something we would put in the budget if we decide to put these four items on? Yes, that's likely something that we would seek a council budget amendment to, to ensure that we could um, have adequate funding to educate voters. Okay. 
Um, so that would just be in the budget, and we'd roll in a budget, and we'd approve it. And then we'd probably hire a consultant to maybe help us with the, our... Um, yes, we would likely do that. Okay. Um, and lastly, um, when you came into this meeting, um, uh, it was suggested in the Monday morning questions that some of these could be um, ballot measures for 2024, or some, and some could be for 2026. Um, did you envision like these sort of simple things being maybe the ones that might be make sense for 2024? Uh, thank you for the question. I think that's really at, at council's uh, direction, but um, I think there is a logic in um, in that direction, if that's where council decides to go. Okay. Okay, that's all my questions. Thank you. Thank you, council member. Next is council member Melton. Thank you, Mayor Klein. Um, Sarah, great presentation. And city clerk, I really appreciate the in-depth study leading to the staff report that we have today. Um, and I'm really enjoying the conversation here from my colleagues and interaction with staff as they start to sort of sift through the issues as, as I see them in, in my mind. Um, one thing I know for a fact, I love charter review committees, right? They can uh, take some time and interact with the public and hold public hearings and think thoughtfully and deeply about specific topics and typically um, come back with a great solution for the city of Sunnyvale. So I'm a big fan of charter review committees. And I sort of walk into the discussion, Sarah, with a bias towards uh, hand the whole thing over to a charter review committee. And um, I find myself concurring with um, Council Member Mellinger, as, as I heard his words were, um, you know, some of this not gonna happen in 2024, right? So let's do that with an eye towards 2026. And then Sarah, I heard you say, um, sort of a spectrum or a continuum of complexity, and I bet there would be a lot of agreement on um, some things that are just way over on one side of really complicated things, and then others that are on the other side of the spectrum. Um, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, I, I really appreciate Council Member Sell's question about staff capacity, and the words that I heard from the city manager are resonating with me very loudly about um, study issues and drawing the line and staff capacity. And we have a very, very, very busy February 15th meeting with a lot of initiatives and potential study issues. Um, so I'm sort of weighing in my mind, right, there's gonna be a great desire to take on study issues potentially, and there will be a great desire for the city manager to draw the line as low as possible uh, and that line will be lifted and become higher than it would otherwise, depending on how much council decides to do from the list. I hope that makes sense. That's not actually a question, but that's just something that I'm ruminating through. Um, so thank you for listening to that. Uh, with regards specifically to a couple of items on the list, the third one from the bottom, and Sarah, I heard you mention this, um, the role of district council members. I would, I would probably find myself as an advocate of saying, um, 
probably doesn't need to go to a charter review committee or be something that's in the charter. Um, that would be something I might nominate for being um, council works with staff to implement a new thing in the council policy manual, right? And in the council policy manual, we say what we want to say and give guidance and policy to future council members about district's prerogative, however that may be defined, and all of Sunnyvale, which I think is pretty self-explanatory. That, that one I would nominate as just going straight to the um, council policy manual. The one that I could see going to November 2024 would be one that I bet a lot of people would agree is not uh, is very low on the complexity scale, and that would be updating the language to be gender neutral. For example, using they instead of he, she. Okay, so that one I could see going to November 2024. But in, in my own opinion, even looking at some of the other bucketed ones that were proposed as sort of a batch, potentially go to 2024, I find myself thinking that even for those which may be lower on the complexity continuum would still benefit tremendously from being part of a work effort of a charter review committee. And if it's going to a charter review committee, expressing my own opinion, charter review committee 2026. That's what I would say. And just to play devil's advocate on the second one here, um, this would be changing the charter provision that requires two council meetings per month instead of to require at least 24 meetings per year. Totally feel like I understand the flexibility that could provide instead of hardwiring two per month. We could do um, something that would give us a little bit more breathing room. But as I see the language listed here, in theory, you could have 24 meetings every Tuesday from July 1st to December 31st and none at the beginning of the year. So even, even that, which at a glance appears to be low on the complexity scale, still needs to get flushed out, right? We'd still have to put in some guardrails so that we don't end up with the possibility even of having zero meetings in the first half of the year and ramming everything into the second half of the year. Again, that's not the intent. I don't think anybody's proposing that, but th these are the sorts of things that a charter review commission, oh yeah, baby, they take it, they run with it, they sort it, they propose stuff, they listen to the community, and then they come back with awesome solutions. So um, I think I'm getting to the point of turning off my microphone um, and saying, um, I got one thing for the council policy manual, another thing for 2024, and then I would say the rest kind of feel to me like 2026 Charter Review Committee. Oh, and I also just wanted to say, um, I concur that if we could get the Charter Review Committee off the launch pad in fall of 2024, that would give them more breathing room to tackle these important issues. Um, and finally, I just wanted to express my gratitude to the authors, the three authors of the memo. Um, I don't wanna get into debating merits of things or, or whatnot. I, I really applaud the courage to write down examining council salary and compensation. I'll, I'll put that out there. I think that's a deep topic that deserves um, some thoughtful work by a future charter review committee here in the city of Sunnyvale for multiple reasons. Thank you for the opportunity to speak, Mayor. Thank you, Council Member. Next is Council Member Dean.
Thank you, Mayor. Uh, and I'll start off, I think, right where Councilmember Melton left off, expressing my gratitude to the three co-authors of the, oops, sorry, I just got a pop-up, to the three co-authors of the memo for bringing this up and bringing this discussion around. And thank you to my colleagues for the questions thus far. Uh, I have a good amount of things that I was curious about I've heard discussed. So one thing that I still am, would like to hear a little bit more information from staff around is when we're actually talking about doing a charter review committee uh, versus looking at these things just from sort of a ca uh, staff and council standpoint uh, without a committee, how much work from a staff side does the committee itself take up as opposed to not having a committee? Thank you for the question, Councilmember Dean. Uh, based on conversations with staff who have worked on recent efforts for Sunnyvale, um, the committees have been quite staff intensive. Um, so I think that that would be a more significant capacity investment um, than pursuing council-directed um, ballot amendments. Okay, it's good, it's just good to be keeping in mind. And what does the actual process of staffing a committee entail? Just give me more, I know we've talked a lot about it with other city commissions, but I'd still be curious to know more of what that workload actually looks like. So um, it would start with the recruitment process and then once the uh, committee was appointed, um, likely the city manager's office and the city attorney's office would work together on agenda packets um, and staff materials. Uh, in preparation for those meetings and would staff the meetings, um, take meeting minutes uh, and follow up on, you know, analysis, um, potentially assist the committee in writing a recommendation um, and preparing that for council. Okay, that's good to get insight on. And uh, specific to one of the things that was uh, the topics that have been brought up around the idea of a charter review committee, when it comes to something like ranked choice voting, from the city attorney's side, uh, how familiar is our current office with those concepts or exploring these voting options or would this require outside counsel or going outside for more information or what would uh, the exploration of that look like in terms of uh, extra resources we'd have to put into it? I, I think we would probably retain outside counsel to help us with that, especially with that particular issue because we haven't had ranked choice voting in Sunnyvale. Uh, and also just uh, with some of the other election issues, um, we've had, our office has had outside counsel in the past um, on those types of specialties. Um, I also wanted to add to what Sarah said about staffing the committee. Um, we also have to train them because they're a group of citizens, they need training in the Brown Act and parliamentary procedure and that type of thing. So that's, um, that's an additional effort that goes into it. Okay, thank you for highlighting that. Uh, well, I appreciate you answering my questions around that and the questions that you already answered to my colleagues. Where I'm falling on it right now, and I think a lot of what Councilmember Mellinger was saying made a lot of sense to me on these topics. I think uh, Councilmember Srinivasan also put it well in terms of the importance of community involvement in this whole process. Oh, wow, I said Councilmember, I meant Vice Mayor. <laughs> Still getting used to it, but uh, in terms of the importance of community involvement in the process, but also to and why I ask these questions. I think as we do that, we just need to be very mindful about how we structure it because I could see it being very intensive uh, on the staff side and maybe there are ways we can structure it or help out from the council side such that the scope is, uh, there's enough room for the committee to determine its own scope, but we're still giving some guidance and structure so that we're uh, 
putting things in place so that staff time isn't being overly used or going uh, too many ways or in too many directions. Uh, but overall, I think it would be very important to have the community be a part of all of it, uh, especially given how core a lot of these decisions are to the governance of the city by and large, which go into all of the other decisions we make. But these are just my initial thoughts. I'd be curious to see where the rest of not just the discussion goes, but as we open it up to public comment afterwards. But those were all my comments and questions for now. Thank you. Thank you, council member. Um, and I had a few comments and questions. So, so council member Cisneros, I was part of the 18th month, 2006 and seven uh, charter review commission. And I think we had 15 members, uh, if I remember. Uh, every council member chose two, and then there was a third one that I think the mayor chose a third, if I remember, just so that there was an odd number in case there was voting um, concerned. And, you know, I do think that having a robust uh, charter commission review of the whole charter, I think, has a lot of value. Uh, I appreciate what council member Mellinger said as far as kind of what might be changed in the short term. Um, I do think that at least items two, three, and six, the two per month, the, the citizenship requirement except for planning and the gender neutral language are relatively easy or, or, re or relatively, let's say, um, innocuous to change to a certain degree. I think, you know, from a jurisdictional standpoint, and I'll ask the city attorney, you know, from, and, and one of the things about the Planning Commission specifically is it's somewhat of a um, legislative jurisdictional purveyor from a city standpoint. Are there any of the other uh, charter commissions that you think fall under that same umbrella? We've, we've looked at this before, and I think most cities that have gone to um, having uh, non-U.S. Um, citizens on commissions have done uh, the advisory commissions um, and not the, the ones that make legislative-type decisions. Um, we, we could look at that in more depth, obviously, if that's, um, if that's a proposal to put on the charter. Okay. We need to look at that. And, and, that's, and that's the question of, of how difficult that is. You know, it's like I think it's, it's figuring out what's exempted. And... And for, you know, and I, I lean on, you know, or I repeat what Councilmember Mellinger said before. It's like where we stand right now, the concept of kicking off anything uh, from a commit, from a charter review commission standpoint is a big task. And I remember even without, I think, um, staff support in 06, 07, I think there were lots of subcommittees out of that meeting that we're meeting quite often, especially doing the final report back to council. And I think it was, you know, it was really good from that standpoint. You know, there was training for Brown Act, although I think the majority, I'd say at least 50% of the people uh, that were part of that commission were either past council members or current or past um, commissioners. So they had already, there, there was a good portion that had already been um, at least uh, somewhat aware of Brown Act and Brown Act issues. Uh, the whole concept of trying to move forward with, with that commission was actually very valuable. Uh, and keep in mind, it's like, so to the other council members, whatever we decide to put on the ballot is then conceivably reevaluated by whatever that commission says. So, so if we talk about uh, whether or not it's 
two meetings per month or 24 meetings per year, or citizenship requirements and, and conceivably figuring out the two or, th you know, the one or two uh, commissions that require that and wh what commissions we remove from that requirement, uh, ultimately from a ballot measure, I think, you know, the gender neutral language is of course the, the easiest one at the end of the day. I, I see all of those as relatively easy to do. Um, as Council Member Melton talked about the guardrails around 24 meetings, you know, I don't think this council um, or, you know, I think any council and recommended staff um, month, yearly, yearly agendized meetings would not shirk our responsibilities. And I think it's, it's, that, it's that concurrence of meetings, are, you know, approximately two a month. And you look at the number of meetings that we've had this month, and it's been quite a bit more than two. Uh, but I appreciate, you know, I appreciate um, what Councilmember Mellinger is proposing. I think that there's a lot of value in at least getting some of these across the line to give us a little additional flexibility over, let's say, the next two years, assuming that whatever would get on the ballot would be approved in November. Um, so I do think that there is value at least on one of those. I understand uh, Councilmember Mellinger's goal for um, kind of trying to get through the filling the council vacancy issue. I think having the A Charter Review Committee look at, we look at that and then show them the specific example as opposed to, oh, you know, it was a majority vote within the commit committee or the last, com the, the last time that was reviewed. Um, and Councilmember Mellinger being on the minority side and not giving council, I'll say, the full, the full, full benefit of his, um, let's see, minority opinion. So, so I do think that as much as I would love to close that door, as we almost were, were hit by that door, um, um, I do think that there's, there's value in, in kind of um, the, the impaneled Charter Review Commission actually looking at that in, in depth once again, as opposed to kind of regulating that from, from council. So I do think that, that the other three have, I'll say, not innocuous, but, but less direct impact on kind of what's being done. And, and conceivably, whatever that next Charter Review Commission review is, could decide to add additional wording, additional guardrails, even revoke, make a recommendation to revoke something that that our, that our council is conceivably proposing to put on the ballot. So those are some of my thoughts in general, but I do think that a Charter Review Commission um, has a lot of value. You know, I think, you know, going through that process before uh, and having a mixture of different backgrounds on that commission, and that will be whenever we start that commission. And, and for me, it's September, I do think that, that if we started in January, it would just be as there. I think staff still has time. I I do worry about the fall, but um, I leave it to staff to trying to figure out the timing of that, and maybe it's initial meetings and all that, depending upon where where this goes tonight. But but I do think that you know, as long as that commission, charter review commission or committee, has an understanding of the timelines in front of it, and goes through that accordingly. We laid that out in 2006 and 7, and I think it worked out 
really well from that standpoint. So that's some of my comments. No, no real questions for staff at this point. Um, I do ag agree with Councilmember Mellinger and what staff said about you know the the role of district council members. I think you know that's a policy change, and I don't think that conceivably we even you know need to undertake that anytime soon. But uh, I do think that it's a good discussion to have, as especially now that we've moved to district. So uh, I wouldn't add that to your to your task this year. Um, next up is Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Just a couple quick things. Yeah, I think uh, the feedback I've heard regarding the vacancy provision makes a lot of sense. Um, I'll just put that out there. Um, second thing I will add is that in terms of the commissions to be looked at, um, yes, planning, but heritage preservation, every blue moon has some things along those lines as well. So that would be worth some special examination there. Uh, I'm not gonna say don't remove uh, remove it, but it, it'd be worth some special examination. And the other thing I would say is that if we go for the 2026 Charter Review Commission, um, one of the things that I hope staff would do is I'm sure staff has a wish list of charter amendments they'd like to see at some point, or of oddities in the charter that have hindered them in one way, shape, or form over the years. Um, and if staff wanted to prepare their own list, I think that would also be something that would be very welcome. Um, and that does it for my uh, follow-up questions and comments. Thank you. Thank you, Council Member. Um, next up is Vice Mayor Srinivasan. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, <clears throat> adding to Council Member Mellinger's point about different commissions, I was thinking about the Heritage Commission more than the citizen uh, citizenship. I think the Eastra, uh, somebody who has lived in the city knows about the city would be a qualification. But more importantly, I was thinking of personal board. Uh, that might be an interesting commission where it might help to have citizenship. And then regarding the Charter Review Commission, I, I agree more, all the colleagues' comments are wonderful. I would also emphasize on um, composition of the Charter Review Commission. That is a committee which is very, very important. That is geographically, age group, all sorts of things. Uh, we, we already have examples why diverse community commission would be very, very useful. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next up is Council Member Sell. And um, could we review the four again? What were they again? before that Councilmember Mullinger um, suggested? I've I got that I know list. them, but I'm not actually sure. Um, Go the ahead, vacancy, The Go vacancy ahead. provision, um, the switching from registered voter to resident for the charter commissions minus planning and maybe with some special consideration for heritage and personnel. Um, using uh, gender neutral language, they, them instead of she, her, or he, she. Um, and requiring 24 meetings per year rather than two per month. Okay, and then was um, evaluate role of district council members, was that in there or not? That was one that was considered as a council policy perhaps. Okay. Okay, and then um, 
so in terms of the one um, which uh, is the um, composition of uh, if it requires citizenship or not, will there um, there won't be any hearings or anything if we just put it on the ballot? It'll just go on the ballot for that one. There would there would be a council meeting, um, so there would be a public hearing uh, at the point that that draft ballot language was brought to council, and then council would have the final decision on whether or not to put anything on the ballot and what language to put on the ballot. Okay, and then when you look into that, um, that one would probably require staff and um, the city attorney to research um, legal constraints of that and everything like that. Um, Okay. Yes. Okay. And then how does that impact the workload in terms of legal cases? Like you have to like go into it and figure out how much like. Offhand, I don't think it would take a ton of research. Um, I just Googled right now and I see there are some cities. <laughs> there are some cities in Southern California that have removed citizenship requirements from all boards and commissions, including planning commission, personnel board, and so on. Um, so it, I'm just relying on their city attorneys must have researched it, and so it may be possible to do that. Okay. Um, okay. And then given the four that are proposed, um, say we have, like, study issues, and we tend to have, like, a lot of, like, public works department study issues. So in terms of moving the line above or below, say, like, like last year we had like three study issues, I think, that public works um, that were above the line. And in terms of having these four um, and then public works, that line, like I know you said, uh, city manager said that um, if it didn't involve directly the city manager's office or the um, city attorney's office, then it probably would not affect the study issue, you know, below or above the line. Or so in that case, where last year, for example, there were three um, public works study issues that were above the line. Um, say you had these four, um, um, you know, items that we were preparing to put on the ballot. Would that have impacted like the public works? number of public works study issues? Would it still have been free if you had this like workload, city manager? Um, I don't think that would affect public works um, with just one reservation that I don't know which study issues would be ranked the highest for public works and what the complexity and cost of those might be. But um, these are uh, the four that were discussed as possibilities are, are pretty straightforward. They wouldn't involve the public works department. And then I also wanted to thank my colleagues who um, did the colleagues memo. Good foresight and good picking of these. And um, so thank you. I wanted to thank you for doing that, that extra effort. Thank you, Council Member. I see no other questions or comments from Council. I will open the public hearing on this item. Members of the public wishing to address Council. Please submit a speaker card to the city clerk. Uh, raise your digital hand now or dial star nine on your telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. 
I will call members of the public participating in person first, and then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's their turn to address council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have two speaker cards. First up is Steve C. Uh, thank you, Mayor Klein, Vice Mayor Srinivasan, Council Members. My name is Steve Chesson. I am President of Californians for Electoral Reform. My comments this evening pertain to that portion of the colleague's memo where it suggests evaluating whether to adopt an alternative voting system, such as ranked choice voting. I do want to thank you for not hearing this item after midnight last Tuesday. I do wish to make three points tonight. First, my organization looked at Sunnyvale's election history from 1981 through 2022. In that 42-year period, Sunnyvale had a total of 22 elections with a total of 74 contests. Of those races, 14 had one candidate, 40 had two candidates, 19 had three candidates, and one had four candidates. In other words, 20 of the 74 contests, or 27%, had more than two candidates. Of those 20 contests, 11 of them, or 55%, had a winner who received less than a majority of the vote. So it's not clear that the winner really had a mandate from the voters. I'm not saying that the result would have been different had ranked choice voting been used, just that those council members were elected without the support of a majority of the voters. Second, in 1998, Santa Clara County voters passed Measure F that allows the Board of Supervisors to change county elections to ranked choice voting once the county has RCV-capable equipment. The county didn't have that equipment in 1998, but it does now. As part of, that, of the effort to encourage the Board of Supervisors to implement ranked choice voting, we did a poll of Santa Clara County voters to see if they still supported it. 58% of them do. We also asked voters in Mountain View, Sunnyvale, and San Jose if they supported changing their local elections to ranked choice voting. 68% of Sunnyvale voters said that they support changing Sunnyvale elections to ranked choice voting. Um, I note that this was a scientific poll and not a push poll. Finally, concerning Alternative 1, having staff evaluate items on the colleague's memo that can be implemented without a charter amendment, please ask the city attorney to see if you may implement ranked choice voting by ordinance. Section 1403 of the Sunnyvale City Charter says, unless otherwise provided by ordinance hereafter enacted, all municipal elections shall be held in accordance with the provisions of the elections code of the state of California insofar as the same are not in conflict with this charter. So this implies that an ordinance can specify an election method other than what is in the elections code. Section 601C does say that the person receiving the highest number of all the votes cast for a particular elective office at any election shall be deemed and declared elected to that office. So the question for the city attorney would be, could ranked choice voting be enacted by ordinance as long as the ordinance said something like, for the purposes of Charter Section 601, the determination of the person who received the highest number of all the votes cast for a particular elective office shall be made in the final round of the ranked rank choice voting tally, that is, the round when only two candidates remain. I would like to observe by observing that last week's meeting when I originally planned to give this test. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Steve. And you can always email us with that information. I actually would like to see. Thank you. I do Thanks actually have a question for Mr. Oh, Chesson. Oh, sorry. Come back, Steve. Councilmember um, Melendez. Very briefly, Mr. Chesson, um, 
if you could forward, uh, you probably already have, but if you could forward the result, the polling that you did on the city of uh, uh, RCV in the city of Sunnyvale to the council along with the methodology, I would greatly appreciate that. Um, I am not authorized to, uh, I can share the top line results, which I did this evening. Okay. I'm not authorized to share the entire poll, but we are arranging individual briefing sessions with different council members and you'll be contacted by our consultant. All right, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you, and thanks for staying past midnight last week. Um, next up is David N. Many of you have already stolen my thunder, but I'm going to uh, be a little bit redundant, I suppose. My name is David Newswanger. Uh, I'm a volunteer with the California Ranked Choice Voting Coalition and the coordinator for Sunnyvale. I live in District 1. I first heard about plans for a charter review com committee in the summer last, of the, last year. But other issues got in the way. Now here it is already winter, and we really haven't done anything yet. The staff report says that it's too late to complete the work to get alternative voting system on the ballot this year, even if council acts without a charter review committee. It's disappointing. I don't want it to happen again. So. Uh, I request that you direct staff to make a timeline now, not later, for impaneling a charter review committee that would consider alternative voting systems, um, provide for public outreach, and complete the work in time to put measures on the ballot in 2026. Once this, <clears throat> excuse me, once this timeline is created, I recommend that council adds a buffer of three to six months to account for unexpected delays as we've had this year. Then, council should provide a mechanism now for starting the process then uh, on the appropriate date certain. I, I really don't want to wait again until it's too late. The timeline for uh, 2006 and 7, uh, as it was noted, was 18 months. The 2020 timeline was also 18 months. Adding a six-month buffer means that we should start two years before the target election. That means the Charter Review Committee should be impaneled before the end of this year. It's sooner than we think. We should, act, we should plan for it now. In summary, you're thinking about it now, so let's deal with it now. Put a trigger in the calendar that starts the process automatically without having to revisit it again later. Please, let's not let this opportunity slip by us again. And uh, we're not going to all uh, speak tonight, but we do have a few extra uh, supporters of ranked choice voting in the audience. If you'd stand up for me, please, uh, just so that Steve and I are not here by ourselves. Thank you. Thank you. And that was my last speaker card on this item. City Clerk, are there any remote speakers to speak on this item? Oh, hang on. Councilmember Mellinger? Oh, sorry. Uh, so, Mayor, we, there is a remote speaker, but I do see several council members. Okay. Uh, so, for remote speakers, first up is uh, Lois S. Lois, you've sorry, been. Mayor, uh, I was raising my hand to ask a question uh, uh, just around the public comment, but it kept getting lowered. 
So I just want to say it out loud in case you thought I was raising it by mistake. Sorry about that. Uh, Council Member Dean? Uh, I appreciate hearing the public, member of the public mention to the members of the audience that were there to stand up just to demonstrate. For those of us who are remote, uh, oh. such as myself, how many uh, people was that? I just want to get a, a count of it. There were three other people here besides. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. City Clerk? So for remote public comment, first up is uh, Lois S. You've been unmuted and you have three minutes to address the city council. Uh, hi, yes, my name is Lois Smallwood. I've been a Sunnyvale resident since 1975 and I support everything that Mr. Chesson and Mr. Newswanger said. I think it's really important to start now. Uh, I, the idea of starting in September of 2024 or even earlier, I think would be good to have a charter review committee. And I think ranked choice voting definitely should be considered as one of the options. That's all. Thank you. Mayor, that was the uh, only remote public speaker on this agenda item. Okay, I will go ahead and close the public hearing and bring it back to council. First up is council member Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. I'm ready with a motion. Uh, I think there's a question first. Uh, Vice Mayor Srinivasan. Uh, thank you. Mike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I pressed it twice. Um, yeah, uh, you can go ahead and make the motion, but before that, I had a question for uh, staff. From First of all, thanks a lot for public comments that I really appreciate, and then especially staying late last meeting, Thank you very much. The question I have is, is there, uh, according to the public comments, uh, is there a, any issue forming the Charter Review Committee earlier, Commission? Uh, is there any issue or uh, is that the staff time or uh, um, instead of September? I mean, it. Um, there's not a big issue, but I'll say the the staff support needed for a commission is equal to the number of meetings they have plus the amount of research they ask for. So if you give them a lot of time, I, I, if I was on that, that committee, well, I'd want lots of research. Um, and so, and I would want lots of meetings. And so it will take more staff time to um, impanel that committee for more months than, than less. They'll, they'll be forced to do their work more quickly if this schedule is shorter. Okay, so my analysis, if it takes 18 months uh, for normal give or take kind of a review, and then we have really big items on the charter, on the agenda for the uh, committee, which means that if you have to put it on the ballot in 2026, which is July or August of 2026, working backwards, that is about September or uh, December of 2024. And then which means that we have to start the process of advertising and uh, that, that is asking for membership and all those things earlier. Does it make, that does make sense or? 
I'm trying to recall, thank you for the question, uh, Vice Mayor. Um, I'm trying to recall the recent examples that we looked at. I think we defined inception as um, essentially like the staff report or the first time that there was a, a public oh, staff okay. report. So I, I wouldn't get too focused on that level of nuance. I think staff can work with the, the direction um, from council with the city manager's comments in mind. Okay, got it. So what you are saying is inception is starting of the commission. Uh, What's, okay. I, I so sorry to break in, but at least being part of the previous, I'll say the, the big last review in 0607, um, I think the, it was the first re report to council and then that kind of set up how big the commission was, what the general timeline was, what the expectations of the commissioners were. So kind of laying out that path Okay. And the 18 months included, I think, that first report to council. So, or the, so ultimately, you know, then there's the recruitment, the placement, and then giving, and the big thing is from a commission standpoint, giving them a clear goal of, okay, you need to make it through the, the full review of, mm -hmm. of the charter by date X, and that would be, let's say April or May of 2026, so that council has a final report, can make the final ballot wording, make those decisions over May, June, July, prior okay. to the deadline in 2026. So I think, you know, that that's the general, you know, it, the general feel for from how that commission, how that, that big commission went, and it was, um, a lot of work was done by subcommittees, so it did not take as much time of staff they they you know they went through sections they did reports they brought in outside experts for certain sections you know staff of course had to do research at certain points but it but it was uh we had meetings sometimes more often and sometimes less depending upon the time of the year it's over a full year people were busy and then enabling subcommittees to do deeper dives and bringing their report back to that commission. So it's it does take an important chair and co-chair mm -hmm. of that commission to make sure that they understand how to run that meeting and all that, but that's for farther down the road. Okay. But I think the 18 months included that first report to council where we had to make decisions on size and composition outreach and just the general, let's say, timeline that that commission would follow. And then we've been impaneled them to move forward. And we might have actually done a study session along the way to kind of meet with the chair and co-chair to get kind of updates um, from them. But that's, okay. you know, we're, we're, we're talking about a lot of things that still need to be worked out. But, but I do think the, eight, the year and a half is, is adequate time, just in my standpoint. Thank you. I compliment you on your memory of 15-year-old process. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, next up is Councilmember Sell. Yeah, I had a question about the um, timeline, as one of the um, uh, members of the community mentioned. In previous um, Charter Review Commissions, when and how did you determine the timeline? Is that after um, council 
suggested doing a commission. And then at the meeting sometime in the future, um, staff would figure out um, what is a reasonable timeline or how, how would the timeline, what is, what is your general thinking of when you might, when might be a good time to come up with a timeline, which is. Thank you, Councilmember Sal. I think it, it worked a little bit differently in each of the recent examples, and it could work as directed by Council this in this iteration. Staff's recommendation to come back in early 2025 is based on um, that average timeline of 12 to 18 months. So in selecting that timeline, um, we erred on the conservative side of the 18, you know, the 18 months, not the 12 months. Um, and so we would, if, if council so directs, we would come back to council with uh, a more detailed process and seek more detailed direction about um, composition of that committee and next steps at that time. Okay. And then, so in this case, like this year, like we had like some unintended things that pushed our meetings out a couple of months. And so when we say 2025, then we would, uh, that is 18 months, you know, 2025, that would be 18 months to the, uh, you know, July kind of time frame, right? Um, so that, that doesn't allow for any buffer of um, any, you know, thing that might delay us, is there? What are your thoughts of, uh, in that 18 months, is there enough buffer? If, you know, like unexpectedly um, for the past couple of months last year, we, we, we did not get to many agenda items and stuff like that. Um, I think, you know, one of the variables in here that I think there, we could build in a process to account for, if a committee was appointed and you said, yeah, committee members, hey, come up with ideas for what you think should be amended in the charter, and they came up with 20 ideas. You know, then, you know, there should really, I think whatever the commission or even the su suggestion, if you go along with it, that the staff should be able to propose ideas for charter amendments, it should come back to the full council. The full council should say, yes, we want to spend time looking at that, or we don't. So if, and I'll, I'll make up a crazy example. So if the if the committee said, yeah, let's look at that redistricting thing. Maybe we should go back to at-large elections. I think the city council would say, we're not really interested in that. Uh, thank you very much. So that could happen. And so I think there, there should be a process built in where the council could limit how many new ideas get put on the table. So that'd be one process that's a variable that we should account for. But, I, you know, we're... Uh, uh, we feel that 18 months is, is enough to potentially do all the items that are on the list, or if you pick, pick off some of them for 2024, um, again, it would leave room for definitely for some new ones, but I do think council should vet those. Okay, and then in terms of that thought that you just suggested, that items that the commission recommends should maybe a good... Um, a good way to uh, prioritize would be for them to come back to council. Is that something we would define today in the motion? Or I don't think it would have to be in the motion today. We, when we, again, if the, if the direction from council is come back in early 2025 or whatever date you specify to form a charter review committee, um, you could name which items you want 
at that time and you could state at that time do you want the committee to have the power to suggest new ideas and would those new ideas have to go through the city council to be um, uh, legitimized uh, in the process mm -hmm. so you don't have to decide that tonight what we absolutely have to know tonight is if you're if you want us to move forward with a process for the 2024 election what is the process and what are the items for that process for for the november 2024 election we got to get started on those right away regardless of the process you choose okay and then in the motion does it also i think i heard my colleagues say um start getting applications in september that would need to be defined in this motion correct if you want us to come back in September, yeah. Okay. Okay, that's all my questions. Thank you very much. Thank you, Councilmember. Um, Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. I'm ready with a motion. <coughs> um, I move alternatives one, two, and five to consider the following policy change uh, at some point within the next two years, so there's plenty of time on this. Uh, adding a council policy noting that the role of council members is to represent the entire city and the district prerogative, uh, which, by the way, is the idea that council members act as mayors of their district, which some cities have, that district prerogative is not a thing in the city of Sunnyvale. So that is the policy I'd like to see brought back in the next two years. Lots of flexibility on when that gets done. Um, to consider and to put the following charter amendments on the 2024 ballot or to bring back language to put the following charter amendments on the 2024 ballot. Um, switching the charter to consistently use gender neutral language, uh, requiring 24 meetings per year rather than two per month. Uh, switching all charter commissions except planning to no longer require applicants to be registered voters with the you know, requested examinations that we've made. And finally, to aim to impanel a charter review committee by Q4 to deliver charter amendments with ample time for the 2026 ballot. Thank you. Vice Mayor Srini Basin. I second. Thank you very much, you, uh, Mr. You, Vice Mayor. Um, so to my motion, uh, I want to thank my colleagues for a very robust discussion on this. I want to thank the members of the public who turned out this evening uh, to speak in favor of ranked choice voting. Um, many of you will know that I have a fond spot in my heart for uh, approval voting, but regardless, I think there are real advantages to alternative voting systems that deserve consideration, and I'm disappointed that we're not going to be able to do it this year. That said, I am not comfortable with having alternative voting be uh, adopted via an ordinance. I think this is a sufficiently profound change that it should go to the voters. Um, I want to speak to the, uh, uh, the three that I want to put forward this year. I believe that these three changes are very modest policy tweaks that can be, uh, the language can be drafted with a minimum of staff effort and with minimal impact on other staff priorities. Um, I feel confident that a future council is not likely to try and front load 24 council meetings into the first half of the year just on the, the basis of how extraordinarily painful that would be. Um, and I do think that these are sufficiently simple and non-controversial items. 
I am disappointed that we're not going to be able to patch the uh, the the loose door, as it were, in this uh, in this election uh, with the vacancy provision. But I do understand, you know, that did go through a charter review commission. If council were unanimously in favor of it, I might be willing to push it, but it really doesn't sound like that's the case. I think it's fine to have that go to a charter review commission. Um, and in terms of the charter review committee timeline, um, yes, absolutely, it does sound like if they are to start work in January of 2025, that is enough time, but to start work in January of 2025, I'd like to see them impaneled and at least have the Brown Act training and maybe a kickoff meeting by the end of this year. Um, and so with that, I wanna thank all my colleagues and thank staff again, and I urge your aye votes. Thank you. Thank you. Before we continue, I just had a question for staff. Um, so the motion as it currently stands is, is just exempting the planning commission and from a charter standpoint and I, and maybe it's it's a friendly amendment does staff would staff prefer to at least have time to evaluate whether or not legally we should look at if there if there are one or more commissions that are do re, should require um, uh, citizenship I, I would like to double check that okay um, I, I think um, there's no limit at this point, but I want to make sure Thank of that. You. Thank you for that, City Attorney. Um, so I, I make that friendly amendment to to have staff evaluate the exempted, let's say, the exempted commissions that do require should require citizenship from a city standpoint. Accepted. And second. Yes. Thank accepted. you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, next up is Vice Mayor Srinivasan. <clears throat> Thank you, Mayor. Uh, thanks to Council Member Mellinger for a detailed uh, motion. Uh, in fact, I wrote in my notes, uh, what are Council election related uh, 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 amendments, compensation and roles? One and seven are clearly uh, Council members election related, compensation four and five, roles are eight and nine, uh, which leaves, I wrote it as non-controversial or simpler one, two, three, six. And then thanks to council member Mellinger for making sure that those are highlighted. And then uh, regarding alternate voting method, for me, uh, as I mentioned, uh, charter review committee is the way to go for a democratic, is a democratic process. And then the alternative voting, uh, uh, voting which is improving the democracy should not be enforced by a non-democratic process. So I am very, very clear that it should go through the Charter Review Committee, committee as such. Uh, other than that, yeah, I, I, uh, I like, I thank uh, Council Member Mellinger for making this motion. And then I am. I will support this motion. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Uh, next up is Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thanks, Mayor Klein. Um, I'm going to be voting in favor of the motion. I think we're ending up in a good place here with regards to the multiple um, pieces that we're talking about. 
to do today, to do tomorrow, to do down the road. I, I think that's all sorted out very nicely. So I know I'll acknowledge to my colleagues, uh, I knew I was gonna uh, put myself in line for some teasing about um, 24 meetings a year. And you know, I, I once again, I just wanna say, I never said that anybody was gonna try to ram uh, 24 meetings into half a year. I'm, I'm not gonna make this um, a friendly amendment or anything like that, but if staff could find a way when this comes back um, to just consider building in a guardrail that would say maybe six meetings a quarter and then give council a choice, right? Alternative language A for the motion is 24 meetings a year. And again, I, I understand the vibe of the, vibe of the dais here, but if, if staff can find a way or if you can't, I'll just do it on my own later. Um, to just say, you know, something alternate that has a little bit of a guardrail built into it of six meetings per quarter, that could still accomplish the policy objective. But um, I'll make a note to myself, and again, I'm not gonna do a, a friendly or anything like that. Uh, and uh, good stuff, we're ending up in a good place here. So um, thank you very much. Thank you, Council Member. Uh, next up is Council Member Cisneros. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, Councilmember Mellinger for making this motion. I agree with it and I agree with the mayor's uh, friendly amendment as well. I think that's prudent just to make sure that we have everything in a row and that we are empowering our staff to uh, help us make the best choices that we can uh, and leaving that flexibility open is always good. Um, this is a long time coming. 2007 may not feel like so long ago sometimes, but it was and a lot has changed since that in the city, the way we operate, the amount of workload we have on council and just the city in general. And so it's time every once in a while as, as we talk about just let's go through and refresh and take a look, take stock at what we have and see what needs to be tweaked in order for us to operate at our most efficient level. And our residents are gonna be a key part, those who participate in the commission and in the public outreach process to helping us find those changes that need to be made and help us do that thinking in a way that represents our whole city. And I, I also hope that uh, and know that our staff is committed to uh, making that a diverse commission. You've done only wonderful work so far on uh, really initiating that as a core value as we convene uh, our residents. So I anticipate that that will be a given and we'll be able to have things come up, rise to the surface that we would, including the ones that we have here. I'm in agreement with the list as it is. Um, I wanted to address the 24 meetings a year thing. And I think, you know, being a well-run city, and I could imagine any city manager, or city staff, or council uh, would say, we need to do organize this in a way that is gonna make the city run. If there's an issue, that can be addressed down the line. Um, however, by having more flexibility around that 24 meetings a year it does open us up to the possibility of potentially having some kind of recess, similar to uh, what many councils around enjoy. I know many of us have missed meetings in the, in the past years due to going on a family vacation or just taking some needed time off. Um, and when you have that opportunity of some, a block of time, you're able to know that at the beginning of the year and plan your vacation and not miss any important votes. So I, I think that that is something that we'll be able to consider uh, and is quite exciting and something we can look at uh, on a staff and council level. Uh, and I wanna appreciate Councilmember Melton for uh, acknowledging that it was a kind of brave to go ahead and put council uh, compensation 
on, on the docket there, right? And, and I think that that is a conversation I so very much look forward to hearing from our residents about because, as I mentioned, the city has changed. It's grown significantly since 2007 and since the last time we kind of discussed council uh, salary and thinking about whether uh, finances are a barrier to uh, participating in, in elected service and all of these conversations are happening on a, on a broad scale in many cities. So this is putting us in line with the conversations that are happening nationally on the meaning of public service um, and who has access to the privilege to be able to uh, serve their community in that way. So that is just really one of the many uh, fascinating conversations I look forward to hearing from the commission on and I want to appreciate the timeline and the willingness of staff to really engage on that uh, with the emphasis on making sure that we have time to get that on the ballot in 2006 because this is important. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention ranked choice voting. I have been a giant voting systems nerd for probably the last decade and so seeing that and I wanted to study this in grad school as my emphasis but I was told there are no jobs in this and it'll never happen. Nobody's ever going to change anything. They were wrong. <laughs> uh, there's actually a lot of great work being done in this area and I'm very relieved that they were incorrect in that way uh, and that there are great people working on it because I don't doubt that Sunnyvale residents are gonna be really excited about this and those poll results are very encouraging and I think surprising to me and just are very proud of how forward thinking our community is and how forward thinking our, um, our county is on this. However, as an elected official, I would feel pretty uncomfortable going ahead and changing the way that I would be or other elected officials would be elected in a, in a, in a bubble. I feel like that might, if I gave my own personal preference, and yeah, I really I nerd out about this, I think it'd be great um, for many data-driven reasons. That's for the community to decide how they want to elect their leaders, and I want to make sure that my hands are off that with my personal opinion and give them the opportunity to, to tell us uh, how they think it would be fair to uh, elect one of themselves to represent them on council. So I think that this is going in a really good direction and I hope you have all of the, uh, I believe you have everything that you asked for and needed and maybe a little more. Uh, so with that, I am so happy to vote yes on this and move this forward to the next stage because we all have a lot of work to do. Thank you. Thank you, council member. Uh, next up is council member Sell. So I wanted to thank my colleagues for this robust discussion. Um, I, in retrospect, I'm glad that we continued this to this meeting because um, you know having this discussion after midnight would be very difficult and wouldn't have been so robust and uh, in, and so enlightening. So I appreciate that and I appreciate um, staff giving us these alternatives, the pluses, the minuses, and quantifying uh, the workload and recommendations, uh, I like that. And I also appreciate the uh, community coming to talk to us about various voting systems. Um, in my opinion, um, one of our last um, uh, commissions was uh, related to elections was the redistricting commission. And I think that there were many meetings, there was a lot of community input, and we did a really thorough job in selecting our commissioners. And um, I have uh, attended to hear very positive um, 
input from our community on our redistricting. So I think when we make major changes that if we invest the time and it's a big investment of staff time, it's a big investment of the community's time, but when we do invest the time and make and approach making major changes, then um, it's all worthwhile because with these major changes, um, you wanna go in the right direction and you wanna go and build consensus and build a coalition and then move forward accordingly. And then that has a strong foundation. So then it seems like that's like the Sunnyvale way to move slowly, to build a coalition, to study it. And then, and then we have a solid ground to, um, uh, to run our city on. So I just, um, I didn't think that this agenda item would be so full of so much information. And so I uh, thank everyone for being involved in this, the community, the staff, and my colleagues. So I will be supporting this motion. Thank you, council member. And I'll be supporting this motion, uh, definitely kind of going through the last big review. Uh, and it was a page by page review of, of Every, pa every page of the uh, charter at that point it was, was very valuable. And, and we did have uh, a lot of discussions about ranked choice voting and other voting alternatives at that point. Uh, it was, uh, of course, at that point, you know, the, the, county, the county couldn't do it. You know, there wasn't, it wasn't capable. And so there were a lot of discussion back, on, back and forth on, on what was viable. And so I do think that that you know I appreciate the residents here tonight, and I agree that having this discussion uh, last week would have went to almost 1:30 in the morning, or if not later. Uh, so so I appreciate you know uh, doing this in a fresh in a, in a much more fresh um, state of mind. Uh, I, and I thank the maker of the motion. I think you know the the items that we carved out uh, are viable for for this year's November ballot and then uh, impaneling a committee uh, to start work on, on the next set of changes for, for the charter. Uh, I think with the appropriate timeline uh, is you know, completely, completely within the time frame of, of how long it takes that work to get done. It will be incumbent upon us uh, to and, and staff to put out the work, put out the, the call for viable, um, viable residents to look at that. And, and the charter is a very technical item. And so ultimately, you know, having people not, not to, to get rid of potential members of our community, but having people that are very detail oriented, uh, that understand the city to some degree, uh, actually helps out. Uh, but it, having that, perspective and, and definitely in 2006-7 we had you know past council members past commissioners current commissioners and a random group of people that wanted to give feedback and I think it worked out to very robust discussions uh, and I am looking forward to this process moving forward uh, and with that city clerk can you please conduct a roll call vote first up vice mayor Srinivasan how do you vote yes councilmember Melton Yes. Councilmember Mellinger. Yes. Councilmember Sell. Yes. 
Councilmember Cisneros? Yes. Mayor Klein? Yes. Councilmember Dean? Yes. The motion carries 7-0. Thank you. Let's go ahead and take a seven-minute recess and come back at 9.10 p.m. Thank you.
Let's go ahead and reconvene and go to our next item, item 24-0266. Uh, consider actions related to implementation of the 2023 through 2031 housing element to create a by right approval process for certain parcels within the city, adopt an urgency ordinance to approve the by right approvals and introduce an ordinance to add by right approvals. Is there a staff report? Uh, yes, thank you, Mayor. I, I wanted to take this opportunity to introduce Julia Klein to you. Julia is a principal planner that started with the city in November, just in time for Thanksgiving. Um, and she's part of our management team in the community development department. Thank you, Trudy. Uh, good evening, Mayor, uh, council members. Um, the item before you this evening is the by right approval process, which is an implementation action from Oh, sorry. Can you pull your mic? Yeah, yes. Thank you. <clears throat> um, again, this is uh, the item before you is the by right approval process, which is an implementation action from the recently adopted housing element, which the council approved uh, last December. So as a brief background, um, the information is in the staff report, but for those that may be watching um, this evening, uh, the city Adopt the city's um, adopted housing element, which is the six cycle, uh, and the Moffitt Park specific plan were both adopted after the January 31st, 2023 statutory deadline. As such, state law requires the city to adopt by right zoning, and that's why we're here this evening. Um, the idea is that through by right zoning, um, housing projects will be uh, uh, will be expedited uh, through eliminating noticing, public hearing, secret review which is the uh, review through the California Environmental Quality Act. And it would also limit appeals to those that are filed by the applicant only, no uh, appeals by anybody else. The proposed ordinance would provide a by right approval process for specified sites, there are 61 of them, that are listed in the uh, proposed ordinance. Uh, the ordinance does not include zoning any new zoning designation, and so it's uh, just a, a list of those sites based on existing zoning. The sites fall into two categories as uh, shown on the slide. Um, the uh, first grouping of sites are uh, a list of sites from the fifth, um, fifth cycle housing element. This accounts for 55 of the sites. And the second category of sites are six sites in the Moffitt Park specific plan area that were selected to meet the city's regional housing needs allocation or RENA for lower income units. The six-cycle housing element identified this shortfall of lower-income units and indicated that it would be addressed through the Moffitt Park-specific plan area. In total, again, there are 61 sites that are listed, clustered around uh, approximately 19 locations in the city, and we'll go into those locations in more detail in subsequent slides. Um, just as a summary, the fusing, uh, future housing projects that come into these sites would be subject to meeting specified requirements, including providing a minimum 20% of total affordable total housing units that would need to be affordable at the lower income household, whereas currently the city's requirement is 15%. They cannot include subdivision, which means that housing projects on these sites would most likely come in as apartment projects. They would need to meet the city's objective design and development standards, and they would be subject to the same fees, including impact fees. Housing projects meeting these requirements would be reviewed through ministerially, which means at staff level, there would be no public hearing, um, no public notice, and the projects would be would not be subject to CEQA. 
um, the sites from the fifth, uh, fifth cycle housing element are located in different areas of the city as shown on this slide. And in total, they would provide um, 1,352 units um, toward the city's RENA obligation. There are six sites in the Moffat Park specific plan area that are proposed. And in total, they would provide over 1,535 units. Um, actually, based on our estimate, it would provide 1,003 lower income units, thereby providing a buffer of about 168 units. So this map, which is included in the um, agenda packet as attachment five, shows the sites that are in the North um, Sunnyvale area, Moffat Park specific plan, and those along the um, Highway 237. And attachment six shows some of the other sites. Um, just a summary, the proposed ordinance was reviewed by the Planning Commission on January 22nd, where they voted 7-0 to recommend approval to the City Council. And staff's recommendation this evening is that the Council take the following action in terms of adopting the urgency ordinance and regular ordinance for by right approval and find that they are exempt from CEQA. If adopted this evening, the ordinance, the urgency ordinance would go into effect on January 30th and would be effective for 45 days or through March 15, 2024. The regular ordinance will come back to the City Council for a second reading on February 6, and if adopted, would become effective on March 7th. The regular ordinance would become effective before the urgency ordinance expires. These two actions would keep the city in compliance with the adopted housing element and state law. So that concludes the presentation, and we're available for questions. Thank you very much. Are there any questions of staff? Uh, I had a question. So this is an urgency ordinance. Uh, let me ask the standard question is, how many council members need to vote yes in order to pass this ordinance tonight? Six. So for this one, it's six through state law. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Councilmember Sell. Thank you for um, bringing this before us. And in one of the council questions, um, I asked what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of doing this? Um, and then staff came up with um, why it is very important to do this tonight. And I was just wondering if you could high level um, just summarize why we need to do it tonight, this urgency ordinance. Um, again, as you mentioned, it is in the staff report, but just as a summary, um, there, through state law, there could be a penalty um, for the next housing element update. Uh, typically, we would have to update the housing element every eight years. Um, the penalty would be that we would update it in four years. Um, the RENA obligation carries over into the next housing element cycle, basically doubling our uh, next RENA obligation. The general plan, our general plan, could also be found to be inadequate. Uh, we would also be vulnerable to lawsuits, fines, and attorney's fees awards. Um, we would also open up the city to builders' remedy projects. And the city could also lose local control of land use decisions. And this uh, court can suspend the city's authority to issue building permits, zoning changes, variances, and subdivision maps. 
Additionally, um, a lot of the uh, grants that are out there now require a, um, a certified housing element as one of the criterias for application, and so we would basically be unqualified to apply. Okay, so that's my question. And also I wanted to thank uh, staff for preparing this so that we do, we can possibly, if we support this, um, meet the requirements. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll go back to one of my Monday morning questions about noticing. And, and I understand, you know, this is by right and conceivably ministerial approved, no real review and from, from um, a city standpoint as far as kind of, kind of what, what's allowed at that site. Uh, but from a noticing standpoint for people to know what's happening, uh, is there any noticing requirements uh, that, that would be required for this? Um, no, there are no, we cannot require noticing. We can uh, recommend to the developer that they reach out and let the neighbors know that, that they have a project that's pending, but we can't require it. Okay, and, and so would that be our normal process? Is that part of policy or is it just something, is it kind of natural, natural process and we're hoping that they will do the right thing? Or, or, is it, or would it require Council to add that as part of kind of recommended process um, as a by right approval, a, a, a by right project would come to council to to city staff. Um, certainly, the council could ask us to go ahead and do the notices, um, but we really couldn't then charge the applicant for that um, uh, for that activity. Um, we've noticed or observed, I should say. <laughs> We've observed in other circumstances, like with the telecommunications, where we had noticed in hearing that the public was very frustrated because they were invited to a meeting where there really was no um, um, discretion that could be exercised. It was really um, determining that the objective standards essentially had been applied. So I, I think noticing could potentially set up some um, false expectations about comments, um, which is why we would hope that a developer would want the neighbors to be aware of their project and take their input. Um, so we would recommend that we try that approach. Okay, and, and, and I, I totally you know, understand for being on the Planning Commission for nine plus years, uh, understanding the issue of noticing for something that from a process standpoint uh, the city and you know residents have little input on you know so because it's a by right that being said building let's say adding a building it's one thing to add something on a pole outside of someone's home adding a conceivably a multi-story building where there wasn't one before and not and not affect and conceivably affecting shading affecting other things on your property, um, to me, is just good practice, and hopefully the developer would would listen. But but there is, uh, you know, it is important from from a um, process standpoint to tr to encourage the developer. But understanding that where we stand with the by right approval, uh, that's that's an impossibility as far as giving real input from a resident standpoint into the process, uh, and then. 
just for residents that conceivably are watching this, can you talk a little bit about more about the general by right approval process and what the ordinance portion that we're putting in place um, is is for tonight? Sure. Um, the ordinance would create a new chapter or a new section in the zoning code uh, describing uh, listing the, the 61 sites and then indicating what that ministerial process would be. Okay. Okay. That was all of my questions. I see no further questions from council. So I will go ahead and open the public hearing. Uh, Members of the public wishing to address council on this item, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk. Raise your digital hand now or dial star nine on your telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call members of the public participating in person first. And then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's their turn to address council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have one speaker card, Martin P. Good evening, Martin Pine, Chair of the Planning Commission. The Planning Commission voted unanimously to, at our previous meeting, to recommend that Council adopt this. I'm not going to reiterate what, what's already been said too much, but I did actually want to emphasize that what's being approved here is for, for by right development is for is a certain is for certain parcels of prop A. It's it's twenty it's it would be. 20% affordable projects so so we so it would be streamlining stuff that's for development that's for, that has a significant amount of affordable housing which is good we need the affordable housing and the other thing that I just really wanted to emphasize is that this is for projects that already meet our existing adopted zoning standards our objective standards so there ha there has actually been a, a, an amount of public input onto what can be built on these sites through the adoptions of the specific plans or the R4 zoning as, as is the case for specific property. And as we've been kind of seeing with new state housing laws, if you want, and, to any, and I'm saying this really more for any members of the public who are listening, because I'm pretty sure you all know this on the dais. If you want to get, in, if you want to have a decision about, if you want to have input onto what kind of projects can be built near you, the time to do that is at the legislative stage when we're considering what the underlying zoning should be of a, of, of a parcel, of, of an area. That is the time to get involved because projects that meet objective standards, even if it's not a by right process, even if it's through our more, our standard process, the city does not have a great deal of discretion about denying those project about those residential projects if they meet objective standards. So that's something I think we should all be getting used to. And I know you all know this, but if any member of the public is listening, that it that is really the time to get involved really is at the earlier legislative stage when when you see a general plan initiation come through, when you see a general plan amendment come through, when you see a specific plan amendment come through. So those are the notices you really need to be on the lookout for in your mailbox. Uh, the, and and this came up at Planning Commission, I don't think it was mentioned tonight, but if a project comes up with a, that, with a deviation requests on one of these sites, or obviously if it came out with not with less than twenty percent affordable housing, the developer would still be able to go through a normal process to get it approved. Thank you. Thank you. 
That was my last speaker card. City Clerk, do we have any remote speakers wishing to speak on this item? No, Mayor. I will close the public hearing and bring it back to Council. Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. I am ready with a motion for staff recommendation. Go right ahead. All right, I move the staff recommendation and do you need me to read the uh, whole thing? Uh, if you're going with stack staff recommendation one, then I don't think so. Uh, I'm going with staff recommendation one. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Cisneros. Second. Thank you. Uh, to your motion. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Um, so we have to do this. If we don't do this, we lose our local land use authority. It would be very, 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 very bad if we did not do this. Um, and so for that reason alone, I urge my colleagues, I vote. I am going to say a little more, though, which is that, uh, as Planning Com uh, Chair Pine pointed out, um, the time to get involved in you know, what you want to see in your neighborhood is really at the land use stage. It's at the general plan amendment, specific plan amendment, zoning change level. And there's a reason for that. The general plan, the zoning code, is the law. And the rule of law, one of the core principles of the rule of law, is that the law means what it says. And so if we say you are allowed to build, I don't know, 20 units an acre on this site, and you meet uh, with these standards, and a developer comes along with 20 units an acre on that site that meets those standards, then the rule of law, the core fundamental principle, one of the core fundamental principles on which this country is built, says you really better give them that project. You really better let them do that because the law that has been passed and democratically enacted says that they can do that. Um, and so actually, I do actually tend to quite like ministerial approval processes for projects that are fully compliant with the zoning code because it does make really clear, look, they're following the law, they get their project. And it also helps to remove us from the sort of legal risk of the Housing Accountability Act where the city can face very serious penalties for failing to approve compliant projects. Um, and while this council and past councils have certainly been very good about refusing to fall afoul of the Housing Accountability Act, there are other cities in the region that have gotten tripped up by that. Um, and so I am a big fan of, you know, let's, let's have ministerial approval for projects. You know, even, I'm not going to propose a study issue or anything, but the basic principle of your project follows the zoning code, it follows the general plan, it should be approved. That's something that I think is really core to our city, and I think that this uh, ordinance tonight is very much in keeping with that tradition. So I respectfully urge my colleagues I vote. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember. Uh, next up is Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, thank you, and I want to echo... Uh, it's really nice to have control over your land use in a city. And we didn't have that for a little while, and we did get some builder's remedy projects. And it, you know, to residents who are concerned about this, these buy right properties, going to say yes. And if we didn't have control over the land use, that could be an eight story building. But instead, it does have to comply with our zoning, as uh, our planning commissioner mentioned. So. 
This seems like just an obvious thing that we need to do in order to retain control of our land use. All of that happens in Sacramento, but what we do in Sunnyvale is we follow the law and we make sure that we are uh, building housing, building affordable housing is one of our values in the city and having places for folks of all income levels to live in all places in the city is a value that we share. And if it comes at, at some uh, inconvenience and you know this doesn't work for some residents, we, we do wanna hear about it. And I'm really encouraged our development community is typically really responsive and really respectful of our neighbors because we try to be a place that is good to work in. Uh, and that is because that we do have a very respectful development community community for the most part who can go and, and work with our residents. So I, I do sincerely hope that that is how this process works here. If you go and look at the parcels, a lot of it is are, are things that you know, somehow didn't get redeveloped, but I have a lot of hopes that we're gonna be able to make our communities even stronger through this process. So this, for many reasons, seems like a, an absolutely obvious yes vote. Thanks. Thank you. And Oh, Vice Mayor Srinivasan. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> thank you, uh, Council Member Melinger, for making the motion. It's very obvious uh, the advantages of this motion. And then uh, for me, it's uh, following the law and uh, building, uh, as uh, uh, our, one of the public said, it's building affordable homes. Totally, we will have about 2,900 units, lower income housing which is critical for uh, our low-income families. So for the, all those reasons, I will be supporting the motion. Thank you. Thank you. And next is Councilmember Sell. Um, I'll be supporting this motion, and I want to thank staff for always being thorough and um, for keeping on top of these housing laws, as state housing laws, so that we can be compliant, so that we don't have to deal with not having control as much as we can um, about the development on our city. So retaining, um, staying on, thank you for staying on top of the laws and um, for positioning Sunnyvale um, so that we can have good developments in our city. And in this case, if uh, developers do choose this, then 20% affordable housing as opposed to 15. So thank you for all that you do. Thank you for uh, joining Sunnyvale. Thank you, Councilmember. Uh, next up is Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thank you. I, I wanted to join my colleague, Councilmember Sell, in just um, providing some kudos to staff for a job well done. Julia, welcome to the city of Sunnyvale. and. Let, let's face it, the, the vote that we're about to have was a, a foregone conclusion. It was never in doubt, but we still have to get the thing across the finish line. So you've got to uh, pull it together, run it past the Planning Commission, bring it to City Council. Uh, for public policy reasons that have been enumerated by um, my colleagues, um, including 20% affordable housing and uh, conforming with the underlying zoning. This all makes good, uh, perfect sense as a thing to do in Sunnyvale. Um, so clearly I'll be voting yes. And again, thank you for your work on this, Julia. I appreciate it. Thank you. And I'll be voting yes, and I'm urging everyone to vote yes. You know, the, the urgency of this ordinance is critical. 
you know, getting this across the line uh, before midnight tomorrow night is really important from a city standpoint. And in talking to council members from other cities uh, who are still trying to get their housing element across the line uh, is um, at least we're in a much better place where we stand now. And, and this is part of that process. This is part of, let's say, the, the additional workload that, we've, that we undertook at the beginning or decided to undertake at the beginning of December when we finally got our housing element uh, conditionally approved. And, and I'm happy to see, you know, this is one of many different things that need, we need to get done over the next three years, but but we as Sunnyvale are good about getting getting to those items, and and I appreciate staff's work on this. I know it was a kind of a a quick rush to make sure that we met this date, and I want to thank other you know council members to take uh, take on this um, not in stone meeting, but this potentially meeting if needed, and we did need this meeting in order to to need to meet these deadlines. And of course, additional items that had been kind of um, pushed down the road a little bit. But but I, I, I thank you know staff for the presentation. You know I think the ministerial approval really does make sense uh, for a lot of these projects uh, or a lot of these sites within the city. Uh, I do hope that staff will encourage developers to do community outreach because, as council members, this is what we always hear. You know, it's like. I didn't know that this was happening, and and you know often it's here's the here's the notice for a specific public hearing. In this case, you know a developer has a certain amount of uh, leeway to deal with to deal with the development of a site as long as it meets within certain city guidelines. And so our 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 design guidelines are critical to this process. You know our zoning is critical to this process. That being said, if something is being built right next door and I never knew it until they start breaking ground, I'm not a happy resident. And so, and so, you know, whatever we can do to encourage um, developers to at least do a modicum of outreach that this is coming and it's allowed by right uh, does help everyone at least raise that awareness. And and I agree with what Ms. Ryan said quite often. People feel um, powerless when certain things like um, like cellular equipment is put onto poles. Uh, that being said, here's a process. Here's here's something where there's never a public hearing, and it moves forward. And so, just trying to make sure that that our residents have a better understanding of what's happening in our community, especially if it's nearby their homes. Uh, that's good, I think, from a process standpoint. And I'm hoping that developers will do it, but. Uh, that being said, I'm happy to see this being approved before our deadline and and looking forward to whatever other programs we'll be seeing later this year. And with that, City Clerk, please read the ordinance titles and conduct a roll call vote. First, an urgency ordinance of the City Council of the City of Sunnyvale adding Chapter 19.73 by right approval of Article 6 Special Housing Issues of Title 19 Zoning of the Sunnyvale Municipal Code designating parcels subject to by-right approval and making related amendments to the Title 19 zoning of the Sunnyvale Municipal Code. And then if I find the right mouse, we'll get, there we go, the next ordinance. 
an ordinance of the City Council of the City of Sunnyvale adding Chapter 19.73 by right approval of Article 6 Special Housing Issues of Title 19 Zoning of the Sunnyvale Municipal Code designating parcels subject to by right approval and making related amendments to the Title 19 Zoning of the Sunnyvale Municipal Code. And then for the roll call vote, first up, Mayor Klein, how do you vote? Absolutely yes. Councilmember Mellinger? Absolutely yes. <laughs> Councilmember Cisneros? Yes. Councilmember Russell? Yes. Vice Mayor Srinivasan? Yes. Councilmember Melton? Yes. Councilmember Dean? Yes. The motion carries 7 0. Thank you. Uh, our next item is item 24-0102, approve the proposed 2024 priority advocacy issues and review long-term legislative advocacy positions. Is there a staff report? Yes, good evening, Mayor. Council members, Michelle Zarai, Senior Management Analyst in the Office of the City Manager. If I can have the presentation, please. My apologies, give me a moment. There we go. Thank you. Um, so this presentation is gonna review the proposed 2024 priority advocacy issues and long-term advocacy positions. Um, so to start as a background, I'll define the terminology that's gonna be used in this presentation and found in this staff report. So every year council adopts the city's advocacy platform, which includes the priority advocacy issues for the year, as well as long-term advocacy positions found in each chapter of the council policy manual. So legislative advocacy positions identify the city's broad advocacy positions on issues and legislation that are short-term in nature. Priority advocacy issues are issues where legislative activity is already underway or imminent and expected to have significant impact on city business. And long-term advocacy positions or LAPs are ongoing policy positions. So this report provides council with the opportunity to review the priority advocacy issues and long-term LAPs. So here's a look at the city's legislative advocacy process. Uh, this process allows the city to take positions on legislation related to council policies, LAPs, <coughs> existing policy documents, and minimizes the need for staff to request direction from council on legislation and issues as they arise. So first, council adopts um, their legislative platform, which um, we're looking for council direction tonight. Staff tracks legislative efforts with potential city impacts and council priorities. Staff coordinates quick responses to pending legislation based on council approved policies. And then staff publishes city position letters on the city's legislative priorities page and also adds them as info only items to council meeting agendas. So at the September 26, 2023 study session, uh, council provided direction to staff to revise the priority advocacy issues to be more concise, succinct, and citable. 
and priority advocacy issues focus on regional, state, and federal activity already underway or expected within the calendar year. Therefore, staff is proposing these six priority advocacy issues identified on the slide and in attachment one of your report for council consideration. So here is a summary of the proposed changes to the priority advocacy issues from 2023. Staff is proposing to delete five of the 2023 priority advocacy issues and move the language into long-term LAPs to more appropriately reflect the long-term nature of the advocacy in those areas. And additionally moves of several policy statements within the six that we're proposing to keep into long-term LAPs. The resulting changes are summarized on this slide and the details are provided in attachment two and three of the report. So moving on to the long-term advocacy positions, the city captures long-term LAPs by issue categories in each chapter of the council policy manual. So long-term LAPs do not require annual council adoption. However, any edits to the proposed, proposed positions must be approved by council. So staff is proposing clarifying edits, additions, and deletions to chapters one through six, as noted in attachment three of your report. So this is a summary of the proposed deletions to the long-term advocacy positions. So for the proposed deletion in Council Policy 2.0 Community Development, staff recommends removal of this policy language since current law requires fire safety slash evacuation plan signage. And for the proposed deletion in Council Policy 6.0 Cultural, staff recommends removal of this policy language since the program was unfunded and listed as a past program by the State Library in 2011. So the next couple slides uh, is, I'll have a summary of the proposed additions. So all of the additions you see here um, were various language in the 2023 priority advocacy issues. And to continue, this is a summary of the proposed additions to the long-term advocacy positions. All but one of the policy positions were language from the various 2023 priority advocacy issues. I'll just highlight that staff recommends a new policy position in Chapter 4, Public Safety, to support legislation that funds officer wellness programs. This would allow the city to strengthen its current programs that explore new opportunities that would otherwise be unavailable due to budgetary constraints. So for tonight, staff is recommending that council review the proposed priority advocacy issues in LAPs, consider staff's recommendation, and provide other direction on changes. And that concludes my presentation. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Uh, we'll bring it to council for questions. First up is council member Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Um, so. I was the council member with the question about an LAP for postal uh, the postal service um, and postal delivery. Uh, over the past two months, I've received a number of complaints from 94085 residents. Uh, I see nodding on the council that some other council members have received similar complaints maybe. 
about misdelivered and lost packages and concerns, I'm, I'm not sure if the, this is the case, but concerns about mail sorting for Sunnyvale being moved to East Palo Alto. Um, and it is a little frustrating to have to tell my constituents, sorry, please call Congressman Khanna's office. Um, and the question I have is, is there any uh, room, and this might be something that just has to come back to council at a later date, but is there any room for a long-term advocacy position on, you know, safe, secure, reliable, efficient postal delivery for our residents? So Councilmember Mellinger, um, if directed by council tonight, we could add language into a long-term um, chapter um, based on council's preference. Um, you know, if you have specific language you'd like to add, uh, a motion to add that language would be helpful. We can add it into the chapter or, you know. Madam City Attorney, um, since there wasn't anything in the agenda tonight about uh, postal service coverage, uh, would it be in order to do that tonight or would it be better to have uh, staff come back? I think it would be better to have staff come back with that. Appreciate that, yes. Um, so I do, I was also the one who asked about uh, redistricting, ensuring fair redistricting. I'm glad that there is a long-term position on that. Um, as you all are probably aware, Fremont Union High School District is currently going through the process of adopting trustee areas, um, and one of the and are likely to be doing so in the fairly near future. And I think it might be good for staff to liaise with them, get a timeline, and maybe see if there's an opportunity for council to take a position at an appropriate time on a preferred map. I know we did that with county redistricting a couple of years ago. Um, this is a very important issue for my constituents. Uh, North Sunnyvale residents have really been leading the advocacy charge to get trustee areas for FUHSD. And I think um, it would certainly be a good thing for the city to consider, uh, for the city to weigh in on, uh, on that. Um, and then the last thing I have, I know that Sunnyvale uh, School District is running a bond, a Measure C. I think other school districts might be as well. I'm not sure. Uh, no. Um, is there going, and that'll be a primary bond, will there be an opportunity for council to adopt a position on Measure C and other primary ballot measures? <clears throat> Uh, Councilor Mellinger, um, there'll be a uh, report to council on the March 5th election ballot measures so council can um, look at adopting positions. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, I think that does it for me and thank you very much for an excellent presentation and I want to say um, this is, I really appreciate the new format of the LAPs. This is much slimmed down, this is much more readable and concise and clear and I think this is a really substantial improvement. So uh, hats off to staff for some great work. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember. Uh, I concur. Uh, next up is Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thanks, Mayor Klein. Um, Michelle, great job. I, it seems to me like you put a lot of work into this at council direction and um, doing exactly what Councilmember Mellinger uh, mentioned in terms of um, how the long-term advocacy positions are handled differently from the 2024 priority advocacy issues. Just a great job all around. 
Um, one thing I wanted to express my gratitude on that really stood out to me as a new entry um, is long-term advocacy position 4.1 for law enforcement, new item nine, chief. Uh, great job, however this came about. Support legislation that provides funding and access to programs to enhance wellness, address mental health concerns, and provide crisis intervention for police and fire personnel. Uh, that's really deeply impactful and important. And at a previous council meeting, I, I spoke at length during council member comments just about how important that is uh, for the mental health and well-being for our first responders. So I think that, that was a great um, insertion. I, I don't know how to accomplish, Michelle, the next thing that I want to try to accomplish with my colleagues. So I'm gonna put it out there, Michelle, for you and Chief No, um, and you can tell me a good way to proceed in, in your opinion. I find myself on attachment one, page three, uh, part two, and this is a priority advocacy issue that we've had for a number of years. It's called interoperability public safety communication systems. And the chief knows um, I spend a lot of time in the public policy arena thinking about this by virtue of the fact of um, that I'm chairperson of the Silicon Valley Regional Interoperability Authority. So I, I spend a lot of time thinking about this. Um, and one question that I had was that a lot of this language, except for one piece here that I'll tackle later, there's one piece that I'll tackle in a couple of minutes is about SB 719. So I'm not talking about that right now. All of this language here, it seems to me, pertains to a previous iteration of this that itself pertained to something called FirstNet. And that was one of the Monday 8 a.m. questions that I asked, right? Is, is this language here all a remnant of previous language that we had with regards to a system called FirstNet? And given the fact that Sunnyvale has implemented FirstNet, couldn't all of this language go away? That's sort of the nut that I'm trying to get to. And so maybe Chief No, if you could take a minute or two to expand, um, first of all, help my colleagues with what is FirstNet? Has FirstNet been implemented? Chief, no, what would happen if all of this language went away because we've implemented FirstNet? And then we can see if there's something that could be accomplished tonight. So thank you. Good evening, Mayor, Council Members, Fano, Chief of Department of Public Safety. And um, I, I just wanna start out by, by saying that um, there are a lot of nuances, uh, a lot of acronyms that we're talking about. And so I just want to make sure that I'm very precise when uh, I describe, you know, what the, the technology is and what the um, organizations are, basically. So FirstNet is a nationwide network built for public safety first now with a dedicated network core that separates public safety traffic from non-public safety traffic. FirstNet provides public safety users calls, texts, and data, the access to be the first in line on the network in case of a major emergency, a critical major emergency. So that's what FirstNet is. And you had also asked the question of uh, what is the distinction between FirstNet and SVRCS? So SVRCS is Silicon Valley Regional Communication System. It's basically a radial communication system that is used by all public safety agencies in Santa Clara County. There are 
other participants, such as VTA, Foothill DeAnza College Police Department, San Jose Evergreen, Valley Water, South Santa Clara Fire District, San Jose State University. So um, the distinction, I, the best way to describe it is FirstNet is for cell phone usage and SVRCS is for uh, the radio communication system that public safety agencies uh, use. Um, in terms of the, the question whether we should keep the language or revise the language as proposed by staff, I think the current revision that's proposed by staff uh, captures the spirit of what we want to uh, convey in terms of the importance of interoperability of technology of the communication systems and because technology is uh, constantly evolving, the changes are really quick, so we just wanna make sure that we keep it with the uh, priority advocacy issue so that we can monitor from year to year. I think a perfect example is SB 719, which I'm sure you're gonna touch on. Uh, the last two years, it was proposed by a state senator to unencrypt public safety, uh, radio communications, uh, I think it's on the law enforcement side, and the city took a position to oppose this, and that's why it's really critical for us to monitor uh, the um, ever-changing technology and evolving uh, proposed law changes. Thank you, Chief, for that. I appreciate that. Um, okay. Um, I'm gonna, I'll think about that for a little bit. It's, it's I'm, I'm thinking right now, Chief, it's very important, um, the words that I just heard you say, um, that um, staff has thought about this and has already recommended it, and, and uh, I hear you saying that um, your recommendation would be to keep the language here not only with regards to FirstNet, but just broad technology issues that may arise in the future. So um, that's good. Um, uh, I'll bring up um, later on um, just one word in part A, broadcast versus broadband when talking about different spectrums. That may be a small thing to be changed. Um, and then um, SB 719, SB 719 is, um, a follow-on to SB 1000 that we've seen before from Senator Becker um, that the city of Sunnyvale opposed. And so I find myself in concurrence with the words written here um, that we would continue to oppose SB 719. Um, so I appreciate your thoughts, Chief, now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember. Uh, next up is Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I want to concur that this is the way it's written. It's just very clear, very easy to read, track the changes that are going on. So I have very few questions, um, meaning I just have the one. So under the safety and seismic activity, uh, it mentions the ability to recover costs. Does that mean that we are opposed to unfunded mandates for the city, I, and I assume that means unfunded mandates by recovering costs. Hi, uh, Councilmember Cineros, can you um, direct oh. me to where you're referring yes. to? Yes, sorry. Uh, I'm looking, and I'm just on the slide right now because this is where I have my notes, but uh, on slide seven, 
with the Council Policy 2.0 Community Development Proposed Edition uh, 2.4 Safety and Seismic Activity. So under 2.4 uh, support legislation that promotes health and safety while su sustaining the ability to recover costs. So my question was about, uh, I assume recovering costs means not having unfunded mandates or being able to recover our costs by meeting the policy objectives in that legislative action. Is my assumption there correct? So um, the addition of that policy was moved from the priority advocacy issue uh, regarding uh, medical marijuana and recreational marijuana. So what you see on the slide is a summary. The actual language is a red line in attachment three, so you can see. That's why I was confused. So the, so the slide is just a summary of the language, but the red line of the exact language for 2.4 um, and um, the new policy recommendations there are provided to council in detail. Right there. Thank you so much. I think uh, I was I was looking at the slides and doing a lot of my some of my notes on the slides, and then I got confused because this is very clear right here as I just looked it up this document. So thank you. No questions, actually. Okay. Thank you, Councilmember. Next up is Vice Mayor Srinivasan. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, <clears throat> excellent uh, job. Uh, the report. The manual looks so clean, and then particularly I was looking at uh, FAA airplane noise, and then it's so clear now. Uh, many of our residents are complaining about uh, airplane noise. Uh, this is very clear. Thanks a lot for doing this. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Uh, next up is Council Member Sell. Um, hi, I want to thank staff also for doing this um, um, uh, format. It's very easy to understand, very easy to know what uh, we're authorizing you to advocate for. Um, and then in one of the council member questions, it says, does staff have suggestions for language around better advocacy around um, energy sourcing and issues with um, electricity delivery, uh, looking for language for uh, Silicon Valley clean energy and community choice um, energy programs. So, um, and then later on, its staff says that um, these positions that support comprehensive strategy and policy that enables deployment of clean energy, um, these um, fit into the long-term advocacy positions. So, in this, um, is it suggesting that if we wanted to have um, improved advocacy that that could be put into that section of the long-term advocacy and such that sometimes there are bills and the bills are not supportive of um, community choice energy and so we would be able to write a letter. Can we write a letter right now in the way that um, the, um, it's written, or do we have to add language to enable um, letters so that we can either oppose or support um, bills related to community choice energy? 
Uh, thank you, Councilmember Sell. It looks like uh, Melody Tovar is on the line. Um, that maybe she can elaborate on the policy you're referring to. Hi, good evening, Councilmember. Uh, Melody Tovar, Division Manager with Environmental Services. We think that the language there in that it references specifically the deployment of clean energy is also supportive of us advocating for Silicon Valley clean energy and community choice aggregation because they are our premier conduit to achieving a clean energy grid. Okay, that sounds great. Okay, um, my second question was related to the council question. Does staff have recommendations on FAA uh, subsection additional language related to improvement of next-gen system for better uh, disbursement of aircraft. And then staff, um, and then I think staff's answer was, if directed by council, staff can add new policy language um, proposed 2024 uh, priority advocacy issue on engagement with uh, the Federal uh, Aviation Administration regarding airplane noise. So that would be council direction would be needed to add more language. Correct. Okay. And um, council language would also need to be, I think when I've talked to city manager about addressing um, constituents' concerns about that, um, city manager suggested it would, to be effective, we need to also engage with neighboring cities if they're willing. So would council language, I mean, would the language in here also need to uh, give the city authority to um, talk to neighboring cities about airplane noise? Um, council member Sell, um, you know, Staff can take direction on how detailed you want the language to be or how broad um, we can add it to this um, party advocacy issue. So up to the direction of council on how narrow or broad you want the language to be. Okay, but currently as it is, it does not have any um, details on that. So we, it would be council direction to add that kind of detail. Correct. Okay, thank you. So I, that's all my questions, thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, I had several questions. Uh, first, thanks staff for the many 8 a.m. questions that I had and uh, I appreciate, you know, most of my questions were just trying to clarify that it was being captured in somewhere and I think the majority of it was in our long range advocacy positions. Uh, ultimately, and, and I'll follow up on one of the things that I brought up, that I asked, that the council member Sell just talked about was, you know, the CCA um, position was important, you know, trying to make sure that that advocacy for Silicon Valley clean energy, which is, you know, a goal and also helps us fund multiple programs within our community is, is a positive thing. The other half of that was the PG&E portion. Um, and I talked a little bit about kind of maintenance from an energy standpoint, but one of the things that was an issue a year and a half, two years ago was, was let's say the, um, the change of PG&E into a, uh, a public utility as opposed to I'll say a privately owned utility which has shareholders. 
would that fall under our current long-range planning? And I'm not sure where the legislation will go this year, but I know that there are several questions from a CQC standpoint um, from at a state level. Just wondering. Um, I can refer again to, um, and I don't know if Melody is still on the line, but um, you know the, the energy policy that we have in place um, is sufficient. I'm not sure if she's aware of additional um, policy uh, regarding that area, but um, I believe that 3.5 energy um, policy would also apply in that case. Thank you. And Melly, did you have anything to add or are you good? I'm good. Okay. I appreciate that. You know, as long as it's part of the long-term policy, because that was, that was one of my questions when this, this came up. Uh, and, you know, in, in talking to, I talked to multiple state legislators on Friday and definitely there's, so you, you covered my questions about conceivably redevelopment agencies are covered. Um, you know, PG&E and I'll say the overall delivery of energy is covered. Uh, one issue that came up about a year and a half ago, and this kind of goes to the chief, uh, was the concept of uh, cameras to monitor speed. And I know that we have other, you know, other license plate readers that will be talked about later this year, but does the current policies long-term policies cover advocacy around speed speed monitoring cameras. I know that that was kind of a pilot program from a from a um, from a state standpoint, but conceivably there's additional legislation that might be coming up this year. I I don't see that in um, our advocacy positions, Michelle. Maybe. Um, I'd have to research that and see if we have anything in long term. I don't know offhand specifically. Okay. Sorry, sorry. This came up actually, you know, as we were going, as I was going through um, just before the meeting, looking at different policies and trying to map them back to, let's say, requests that I got from an advocacy standpoint from, from different mayors last year. And it was only this afternoon that I was able to, mm -hmm. you know, loop back to that one. And not that the, it'll be brought up again, but the pilot program is, I think, currently moving forward in about five or six cities around the state. Mm -hmm. But once that pilot is in place or starting, conceivably our legislators are wanting to codify that as a permanent option, part of our toolkit from a DPS standpoint. So um, I would, you know, I'd be interested, you know, at some point to see whether or not that's, that is, covered and if it's covered i think it might just be a report to council or or uh, sorry an info item to council and if it's not covered then i do think that adding it in some way either short term or long term uh, just to make sure that to me it's looking at other technologies and that cover that improve let's say public safety response public safety information gathering and then we deal with that at a local level but but trying to make sure that that at least we have some flexibility from the advocacy standpoint to write those letters uh, in favor or against, depending upon what public safety um, sees as beneficial or, or not so beneficial, depending upon uh, what what legislator has written uh, within the actual um, uh, documentation. And then uh, kind of following up on the other thing that 
that uh, Councilmember Sell talked about, the question about uh, engagement with the FAA about airplane noise. So we don't ultimately looking at kind of next gen and improvements with next gen. We still need a little more flexibility and I'm hoping whoever makes the motion adds some wording from that standpoint. Does staff have any suggested wording or uh, for how that would be covered? Um, I don't have specific okay. language for you. Okay, thank you. And that was all of my questions. I see no other questions from council. So I'll go ahead and open the public hearing on this item. Members of public wishing to address council, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk. Raise your digital hand or dial star nine on your telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call members of the public participating in person first, and then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone. When it's their turn to address council, speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have no in-person speaker cards. Uh, city clerk, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? No, Mayor. I'll close the public hearing and bring it back to council. Uh, council member Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. I'm ready with a motion. Go right ahead. Oh, wait. Uh, Go right ahead. Um, I move staff recommendation with the following <coughs> additions. Uh, return to council with a long-term position to advocate for secure, reliable, and timely postal service for Sunnyvale residents. Uh, return to council with an opportunity to adopt a position on FUHSD trustee areas at an appropriate time. Um, and I would be open to a friendly amendment on FAA next gen. Thank you. Councilmember Melton. Yeah, I'll second, and let me just jump in with a quick friendly amendment to Councilmember Mellinger um, on the um, interoperability priority advocacy issue. There's one instance where the word um, broadcast spectrum should really say broadband spectrum. It's a technical correction, but if we could just have that as part of the motion, I'd appreciate it. Staff all right with that? Accepted. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Sell? Um, so did it, you say, oh. Go uh, ahead, it's a friendly amendment fr or? Friendly Thank amendment, you. yeah. Friendly. So um, I hope you could entertain this friendly amendment. Um, uh, as staff pointed out, um, the transition to next gen has created significant uh, noise for Sunnyvale residents it's uh, narrowed the rail area over Sunnyvale um, if directed by council. So we would direct uh, that staff can add new policy language um, to propose 2024 um, priority advocacy issue to engage with uh, the Federal Aviation Administration regarding airplane noise and also engage with our a federal representative, Congress members, and senators, and neighboring cities where um, as applicable. Uh, staff all right with that language? Um, I think it's quite unusual to say who we're to engage with, right? Uh, this is a policy platform. I mean, how about the leader of the FAA? Would we want to talk to them, perhaps? So perhaps, naming individuals is not a good practice. Perhaps Council Member Sell might restate the friendly amendment without reference to advocating to, in, to particular uh, individuals or agencies. Okay. Um, so uh, staff would um, 
engage on this issue as uh, they see fit. Does that fit uh, with other bodies? So there, the, you know, this is the what. The, the how is not in these policies. I'm, I'm going to suggest that perhaps uh, if this needs, this might need some additional workshopping and council member, uh, my colleagues might want to make use of the colleagues memorandum process. That would be a good use of the colleagues memorandum process if they wish to coordinate and suggest some more uh, detailed language on this. Okay. And then that would just come back um, Exactly. Well, if it's a colleague's memo, it would come back when there's time for it to come back. Okay. And then how would it impact these? Uh, it would be it would be agendized at a future meeting to discuss adding it to our short-term or long-term okay. advocacy positions. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you. And I'll add a friendly amendment um, to, and I'll, I'll try to craft that, whether or not we bring it back at a later date but basically advocate with the FAA to improve next-gen operability for our, for noise, um, noise reduction of our residents. Staff, is that, is if staff that, is okay with that, I'm okay with that. Is that general enough? Give me a minute to look at that one because I, okay. I kind of feel that's already in there. Who already says that? That's what I was wondering. That's, that's the, I mean. But that, but the question, you know, so that was the question. So I didn't know if it was, to me, that was why I had the Monday morning question because I wasn't sure and I, I would have to go back through and look at it. I don't think that there's any mention of next gen specifically. And we talked a little bit about airplane noise, but I didn't want to preclude that capability. What, what's in here, and I found the section, and, and this is um, item B. Uh, on page 11 of attachment two it says support efforts to work with regional agencies and federal representatives and authorities to mitigate the effects on Sunnyvale residents meaning to reduce noise so whether it's next gen or it's anything else um, the policy is that we work with agencies to reduce noise for, that is impacting Sunnyvale residents okay thank you I will withdraw that friendly amendment and then one last friendly amendment, um, whether or not, so basically advocate for new public safety technologies um, as seen to improve process for our public safety department. Is that general enough? I mean, I don't think that that's covered from a technology standpoint. I mean, I think that's an appropriate one for us to, to look at a little further and, and bring back some some language that would could cover that. Okay, so bringing that back as a friendly amendment. Uh, to come back, yes, I, I accept that friendly amendment. Uh, Thank you. Yes. Thank you, that was the end of my friendly amendment. I see uh, Council Member Sell. Oh, hand back up. Oh, sorry, thank you, Council Member Sell. Thank you. Over the last few months, we've heard um, residents talk about retail, and even on this council, we've talked about retail how some of the new laws that are put into place um, makes it so that when there's redevelopment, such as in the Village Center, that um, it's difficult for retail to be maintained. 
So I was just wondering if there might be an advocacy position to advocate um, to state officials to consider retail, how we can, um, oh, do you have any thoughts of that? Yeah. An amendment related to retail, how we can. I would suggest that that might make for a good colleague's memorandum. Okay, okay. thank you. Is it already? Hmm. Yeah. Thank you. To your motion. Uh, to my motion, uh, first of all, thank you staff again for really distilling and boiling this down to the most essential, clear, concise form imaginable. Uh, by my count, this uh, document went from being nine pages long to being four pages long, um, which is a very substantial uh, simplification. Um, I think that we have a good set of legislative priorities here. Um, I think the items that we've asked to have come back are uh, reasonable, modest additions that should not create too much additional staff workload. Um, and I would respectfully urge my colleagues I vote. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember. Uh, next up is Councilmember Sell. Um, I would like to second the motion. Or just comment. It's already been seconded. Okay, second. Well, um, I just wanted to thank staff for um, doing this revision as we directed. Um, you followed everything that I think we asked for last time, and it looks like you put a lot of work into this. So thank you for doing that, and I will be supporting this motion. Thank you, Councilmember. Uh, next is Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'll join in my colleagues with um, the strongest kudos to staff for really a lot of hard work in this document and cleaning it up, uh, making it so much more succinct and operable um, and navigable, not only for um, council members, but for our members of the public who are interested in um, learning more uh, about our various policies. Um, I already said I, I really appreciate the um, entry that we made uh, for DPS and um, officer mental health awareness. Um, I'll just say a couple of sentences about the FAA. I, I am comfortable with the language that we have in there. It's a really difficult topic. But then again, we also have a process for colleagues memos. So if anybody wants to take a shot at sharpening their pencils and coming up with some thoughts that um, could strengthen this or uh, increase actionability. I, I find myself thinking back to 2018, Councilmember Hendricks and I um, went to the FAA in Washington and had conversations with them. And then just as recently as um, 10 months ago, Councilmember uh, Vice Mayor Srinivasan and I talked to the FAA um, in Washington in a workshop setting. Um, so we're gonna have to keep up the fight on behalf of our residents. Um, and continue talking to Washington about the impact of um, NextGen. Also, keep talking to the folks at Moffett Field about the impact of their air noise. Just such a complicated thing. Uh, absolutely support keeping up the, the fight on airplane noise and just continuing to have um, all of these important dialogues. Back to the motion, I'll be supporting it. And great job again by staff. Thank you. Thank you, Council Member. Um, City Manager, you have a comment? Um, sorry to break in during the middle of your deliberations. I just wanted to mention, um, Councilmember Sell, the item you mentioned about preserving retail, we did think of that. Um, it's included in the 
priority advocacy positions in attachment two on page 10. Um, the last item, item D, uh, includes um, supporting legislation that would enable preservation of sites for appropriate balance of conveniently located range of uses, including retail and commercial uses. So we added that this year. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Vice Mayor Shereen Vasan. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, once again, uh, thanks to staff for uh, condensing this. Then I will echo my opinion on FAA. Uh, <laughs> once again, continuing the theme, um, I like the uh, how it reads here. Uh, for example, uh, apart from next gen, uh, one of the concerns our residents have is the rerouting of uh, uh, some of the flights from San Francisco Airport. Uh, that is also seems to be covered here. I think this is fairly comprehensive, or at least it gives you the broad guidelines to work with FAA and other agencies, in my opinion. But thanks a lot to staff and then maker of the motion. I will be supporting this motion. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll be supporting this motion. Uh, definitely, these advocacy positions are critical as we go throughout the year. Uh, as our legislators uh, continue to make proposals and then change those proposals last minute. So, you know, they're, they're very useful for me, for staff, to figure out how to respond quickly to uh, requests to, you know, often from uh, the California League of Cities or, or, or other, you know, other regional organizations trying to make sure that the, the the legislation that's being proposed is changed for the better. And so, so hopefully, you know, this gives us the flexibility that we need and uh, to try to make sure that whatever happens to come up before the, as the legislative process moves forward, we're able to respond accordingly. Uh, you know, ultimately, I spent, you know, Friday night with uh, our state senators and um, our, um, and several assembly members and you know ultimately hearing what their goals are for the year and you know there are some things that are going to be proposed that might be worth advocacy depending upon whether or not what form they end up in but we will see that as this legislative session moves forward but I'm happy to that staff has simplified this for I think everyone's sake and you know um, I really appreciate that hard work of uh, that went into trying to make um, this a lot easier for everyone to digest. And so with that, City Clerk, can we please have a roll call vote? First up, Councilmember Mellinger, how do you vote? Yes. Councilmember Cisneros? Yes. Vice Mayor Srinivasan? Yes. Councilmember Dean? Yes. Councilmember Melton? Yes. Councilmember Sell? Yes. Mayor Klein? Yes. The motion carries 7-0. Thank you. Uh, next are council member reports on activities from intergovernmental committee assignments. Uh, first up is council member Mellinger. Thank you very much. I have two reports. The first is for the Caltrain local policymakers group, which did not meet this month. Uh, there was a memo sent out, which I believe uh, should have been forwarded to you all by now. Yes, great. Um, 
Second is a bit more substantial, which is BOSCA, uh, the Bay Area Water Supply Conservation Agency. Um, so last, uh, uh, this past month was uh, former Council Member Larson's last meeting as Sunnyvale's representative to BOSCA and as chair of BOSCA. Uh, Council Member Larson submitted his resignation uh, on the 19th, I believe. Um, the new chair of BOSCA is Tom Chambers with Santa Clara Council Member Karen Hardy as the chair of the board policy committee. Um, so uh, this past month's meeting saw uh, some proposed changes to the fiscal year 2023-2024 annual work plan. Um, so one item there that is of note is that rather than having quarterly meetings with agencies, they will be hosting one meeting of the Bosca Regional Water Supply Reliability Roundtable to discuss Strategy 2045. That is going to turn into Strategy 2050, which I will get to in a moment. Um, so another item was that Strategy 2045 has become Strategy 2050, um, and they've put out uh, the proposed objectives for that. Uh, provide a comprehensive picture of the region's supply and demand management needs and options, establish a framework for collectively maintaining and improving regional water supply reliability and resilience, elevate awareness of and support the region's interests in new and emerging regulations that impact water supply and demand management, expand regional dialogue and collaboration to collectively address common needs, close the gap on funding needed for water supply resilience and reliability, and support availability of affordable water supplies and demand management strategies to all customers. Another important note is that they expect that the lead negotiators are currently working towards finalizing the updated Tier 2 plan by end of June for unanimous adoption by government, governing bodies, that means us, by, the, by December. So the Tier 2 plan specifies, it's a little confusing, the tier two plan specifies how much water each agency gets in the event of a drought. Um, so that is essentially of Bosca's share of water in a drought, who gets what? Um, and so there will likely be something uh, coming down the pike this year on that for us to be looking at. Um, and finally, um, there was an item to identify future challenges uh, for planning efforts. This includes short, medium, long. Uh, I personally recommended speaking as a member of the public that climate change and related risk be exclu uh, explicitly called out as a, a, a risk to be considered. Many of the risks that were included, in fact, probably most of them implicitly included that. I felt it was good to make it explicit. And finally, uh, uh, City Clerk Carnahan administered my oath of office uh, last week via Zoom. So I am now officially a Bosca board member. Thank you all. Thank you and congratulations. And I reached out to uh, Gustav Larson, post, you know, uh, post council, uh, to thank him for his service to our city. So. And his service will not be forgotten. He is—he was a magnificent and excellent in that role. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next up is Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, thank you. I have two IGR meetings to report back on. First, uh, I will go in order of the longest to go they've been. First, we had the uh, first meeting of the uh, 
Santa Clara County League of Cities Legislative Action Committee. And what we, and we just, primarily the meeting it was setting up and I wanna talk a little bit about how we plan on um, how they're gonna bring bills forward this year because that's an important process as we just discussed. It's very related to how we engage in an advocacy way, the League of Cities is a primary way that we, we engage there. So I'll start off with that actually. So this year, it is a little bit of a change from how it has been done in previous years. It, it can vary back and forth and the mayor would know better than I do as a, as a former chair of this committee, but this year we will be, they will be taking suggestions for bills to follow up on and take positions on from the city representatives. So that's where, you know, this is a really good opportunity for us to signal when we see things coming down the pipeline to get into that advocacy pipeline along with it and we can connect on that on a, uh, you know, on an ongoing basis and a more detailed level, but that's a really exciting thing because we'll be able to have uh, a bigger say in that and be a little bit more proactive and less reactive to what's being brought before us. And we'll know the bills about a month in advance this year that will come before. So in that case, it'll give us an opportunity to, if we so desire, look into it. City staff has an opportunity to take that position. And again, that's something that I'll make sure gets forwarded onto staff to see if that is, if there's any appetite for that, giving me direction on how to represent the city. And the bulk of the meeting was hearing from our uh, policy, uh, policy lobbyist, person over there in Sacramento about what kind of bills, what kind of legislative issues were happening. We had that in an information only item and it was pretty well covered in there. I just wanted to hit on a couple highlights rather than go through all of the items we went through in that meeting. One, uh, and I mentioned this in, uh, on our Thursday meeting, is that there's gonna be a $200 million reduction in state ATP funds. So, but there's an opportunity to lobby for uh, where we, those reductions would be and what that would end up looking like. And hopefully we'd be able to engage in a way that uh, is beneficial to the city and doesn't hopefully cut back on the impact there. There are a number of Brown Act uh, and public records items coming up, notably uh, AB 18 or 817, which would allow commissions to meet completely remotely uh, on an ongoing basis if they so choose. And so that's something that'll come up that will be directly related to something we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about Prop 1, but that's something we'll also talk about in this council as well. And there will, AB 205 is another one to track. This is a uh, rate restructuring for low-income utilities. Uh, it would require all of our rate payers to give their, uh, you know, give proof of income, which is itself a, giant hurdle for many reasons, but it would really become a little chaotic in how we operate with our rates. And so it directly relates to how we work with our residents. And those are the two biggest ones that are gonna come up that I saw as things that surprised me that will show up through the year. But you know, it, it's gonna be a good year on that committee for what I said. There's a lot of opportunity for us to engage and also know ahead of time so we can go ahead and get our uh, get our say in. And then the other meeting that I went to was uh, the Valley Water Policymaker uh, Committee. And we primarily discussed AB 1469, which is the ability for Valley Water to build 
uh, housing on their land for the unhoused, both um, uh, transitional housing and potentially uh, permanent supportive housing and long-term housing as well. And we just discussed how that would go um, and where we are in the process and determining there's a lot of conversations about local control and also whether or not these units would help us meet our own RENA goals, which is, uh, was of particular interest of many of us there and is of particular interest to us here today. So as that conversation evolves, I'll make sure to keep uh, the public updated because this is something Valley Water does have land and the unhoused population currently occupying Valley Water land is of uh, concern to residents in the city. So this will all have a, an impact on what things look like going forward on that front. So really interesting stuff. It's gonna be a busy year. Thank you. Thank you, Council Member. Uh, next up is Vice Mayor Srinivasan. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, <clears throat> actually, we approved this in the consent calendar. I am selected to be part of uh, uh, National League of Cities IT and Communication Committee. Initially, I was rejected. This was uh, this is the committee which will be advocating for IT, uh, <coughs> IT ad, uh, and communication kind of uh, related uh, issues. And then they are also, in future, there will be a lot of AI, artificial intelligence related issues. So tomorrow will be the first meeting. So I am really, really excited to be part of that committee. Thank you. Thank you very much, Vice Mayor. Uh, and then I had one quick report um, from Silicon Valley Clean Energy. Uh, last week I was selected as chair for the Silicon Valley Clean Energy Executive Board. So this gives Sunnyvale uh, an important voice at Silicon Valley Clean Energy, especially since Sunnyvale is the biggest jurisdiction within um, SVCE's uh, rate area. So I think it's, it's very good from that standpoint just to have uh, that leadership, is, especially as we're moving forward and kind of setting policy, at least from an executive board standpoint, which kind of still needs to be approved from the general board, but we get kind of a, a first look and a little bit of direction to staff on what ultimately comes to the board. So um, that was all from me. Next up are non-agenda items and comments. Uh, first up is Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thank you. Um, in a second, I want to raise a motion to agendize, but first, um, I just wanted to circle back on a couple of things that I heard from my colleagues. Congratulations, Commissioner Mellinger, for being appointed to Bosca and a long and prosperous career in leadership, and Mayor Klein, to your appointment to the um, Executive Committee of Silicon Valley Clean Energy. I just encourage all of my colleagues, I've been at this for seven years now, just keep working hard on your IGRs and grab leadership opportunities um, so that you can represent Sunnyvale. And um, I, I think our IGRs are a great thing. Vice Mayor Srinivasan, there, there seems to be a story there. I think I heard you say that you were rejected and then accepted. So however that came to happen, I'm, I'm very happy for you, Murali, and I. I know you'll have a great time at the NLC committee. Um, uh, so I have a motion to agendize city clerk. This is something that I've heard about on multiple occasions from the community. Um, so I just want to see if there's an appetite in the form of a second, uh, and then we can see if there's a motion to um, agendize and talk about this down the road. So 
This is a, a motion to agendize adding something to our council policy manual. And it would say two things. This is the question about whether or not we take up matters of US foreign policy. And so bullet point number one, we would um, say as a matter of Sunnyvale Council policy, international affairs, we believe are under the subject matter jurisdiction of the US federal government and not under the subject matter jurisdiction of Sunnyvale City Council. And then the second bullet point is as a policy, Sunnyvale City Council does not take action such as proclamations, declarations, resolutions, and so forth on international affairs and or matters of US foreign policy. Um, I bet some of my colleagues have heard some of the same concerns or advocacy in the community. Um, so I'll leave my advocacy at that. This is a motion to agendize and the next step would um, be a second if there's interest. Thank you. So thank you, um, council member. Uh, at this point, this was something that I was hoping to agendize later in the year. I don't, um, at least I'll, I'll be honest, I don't have um, an interest in agendizing this anytime soon. And so uh, I will not second that at this point, but thank you. Thank you for that, because I do think it is a discussion we should be having at this council, uh, but waiting for, uh, let's say, a, a later time in the year when we get through some of the important meetings and business that we have ahead of us. Thank you for that. Any other comments? I have some comments. Um, first, uh, two weeks ago I was in DC at the US Conference of Mayors uh, Winter Conference. It was great representing Sunnyvale on the national stage. I met with Congressman Khanna as well as both of our uh, senators and their staff. So it was an amazing experience. Uh, a little cold at times, but uh, it was good to hear directly from President Biden, Vice President Harris, um, a majority of, of, the, of the cabinet secretaries giving us early insight into you know, funding opportunities for 2024. Uh, but it was good to have discussions with mayors from across the country, our federal officials, you know, affordable housing, uh, FAA, clean water unhoused issues, infrastructure, transportation, uh, but it was uh, a productive week. Um, and then as far as uh, tonight's info, uh, just pointed out that, that I created the ad hoc advisory committee on the city attorney recruitment. So thanks to council member Mellinger and Self for, for wanting to join that committee um, and others who are interested. And then lastly, I would just encourage council and residents to read through the Cal Cities 2023 ledge update from our last meeting info items. And as council member Cisnero said, this year is going to be interesting, but I, I think just looking back at last year's legislative um, items that made it through, uh, there's a lot of effects. And you know, I've, I've talked with um, our director of community development on, on how that ripples through uh, her organization and kind of through and other things from a city standpoint. So I do think that there's, it's a long document, lots of different bills from that standpoint, but I do think that there's a lot of value in just taking a look at what's there because conceivably it raises questions of something that we either should be doing. It's educational for us to, to look at, are there changes that would need to be done within the city? Uh, that was one of the things about the, the study issue about the, um, the 20 foot, 
clearance for Vision Zero um, and parking near near sidewalks. And so, you know, as you go through that, take, please take a look when you get a chance. Uh, City Manager, do you have any non-agenda items or comments? Nothing tonight, Mayor. Thank you. Okay. We will go ahead and adjourn the meeting at 444. Uh, thanks to everyone who participated. Uh, have a good evening. Good night.